Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, the Utah Jazz fall again, 1-2 and two on this road trip. They are beaten by the New Orleans Pelicans. And yes, that is a major disappointment. I know, you can't win them all, and these things happen. And, you know, this is probably the worst team they've lost to since Minnesota, I guess. Game two, if you look at the other ones, because... The Knicks now have gotten themselves up into the you know, 500 range and kind of battling 4-5 in the East. And uh, Denver's gotten themselves over 500. Yeah, I think it's the Pelicans and the Wolves now. If you're ranking the the worst teams the Jazz have lost to. And it just comes down to the end of the night. And, and you'll hear this come out of the best of the Jazz postgame show. You know, the defense wasn't good enough. They gave up points in transition. They gave up a ton of points in the paint. And, you know, the 33-point second quarter was bad. Um, but the Jazz still led at the half, 64-59. Okay, tighten up in the third quarter. You got a five-point lead. Have a good defensive quarter. You're scoring it. You know, you're, you got 64 points and a half, so you're not having any problems scoring. And, you know, pull away. And instead, they gave up 40 points in the third quarter. And then 30 in the fourth. And that's even though they got a bunch of stops the last you know, four minutes or so of the game, last three minutes really of the game. They got a bunch of stops, and they got a 17-point deficit all the way down to one. But that was as good as it got. They end up losing 129-124, the final score. And now they got to go to Philadelphia and lose that one. You're 1-3 on this road trip. That's just a really bad road trip. And you really go into the all-star break with a sour taste in your mouth. We ought to see something really good from the Jazz. They, they look down. Um, Rudy probably, you can listen to him. Rudy probably less so. Donovan probably the most. Bojan probably in between. Those are the three players we got to see in the postgame Zoom. Quinn Snyder is pretty far down. Just, you know, I asked him about fatigue and, uh, you know, he credited the Pelicans and didn't really want to go there. And Donovan went right to just lack of urgency, you know, that whatever fatigue there is, the urgency overcame the fatigue in the last three minutes of the game. You know, whatever the mix was. But Donovan, oh, you'll have to count it up when you listen to it. Uh, I think he says lack of urgency like four times. I might be off by one. But he said it a lot. I mean, repeatedly. It was clear what he thought the problem was. So that Jazz go down to defeat. They're off tonight. They'll play Philly tomorrow. And then everybody scatters for the All-Star break. So we'll see how they do as they get to game 36 here right at the end of the break and uh, see how they handle Philadelphia. All right, we're going to take a break here. Uh, DJ and PK, when we come back, David Aldrich, uh, he writes for The Athletic, editor-in-chief of The Athletic in D.C., and he's been at TNT, ESPN. You've read his stuff on national websites, seen him on TV for a long time. He just wrote a really interesting story about race in Salt Lake City and the Utah Jazz and a perception of players of Salt Lake and, in his mind, how it's changed over 20 years now got the negative again with Elijah Millsap's accusation, and that raises a lot of old storylines, and he addressed them in his story. But he talked to Mike Conley about why Conley's taken to Salt Lake and why he's interested in signing with the Jazz again. He talked with uh, Derek Favors, who obviously, you know, left, uh, was traded away, and then, you know, as a free agent, decided to come back. So interesting stuff there. Uh, and, he, and he talks a little bit about Dennis Lindsay as well and people he's talked to around the league who used to work in Utah and don't anymore. So we'll get to all of that with David Aldridge. Coming up next, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, we are joined now by David Aldridge. He is the editor-in-chief of The Athletic DC. You've seen him on TV. You've read him for decades. He's been covering the NBA for a long time. David, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. We both read your uh, your story. I think one thing we can all agree about in the digital age, whatever its downside, you got more room to write. You wrote, and you wrote. And there was no one to cut it for space. Sorry, it's great, David. We just don't have space. You don't have to hear that. No, that's always a good thing yeah. uh, in the writing in the writing space. Um, we don't try to abuse it, but when you need to take two thousand words to discuss something fairly complicated, um, the good news about being at the athletic is that I have the opportunity to do that. So we really enjoyed both of us, uh, well, enjoyed your coverage over the years, but enjoyed this particular piece. Both of us, DJ and myself, PK, we are California transplants. We moved here in the early 90s, but we've been here now coming up on close to 30 years, and uh, we've seen this community, and we know a little bit about it. And so it seems like any time something like this happens, the issue of minorities, and then obviously with the NBA, it's African Americans, how comfortable they can be in Salt Lake City. And you talked to Mike Conley and Derek Favors. You probably could have talked to as many guys as you possibly wanted in your three decades of covering the league. My thought for you is how much of it, is it still a concern, the perception out there? meaning the states and the rest of the world, the rest of the country, as far as this being a welcoming place for African-Americans? Well, I I think it, you know, if you only go by what, you know, Mike and Derek and some of the other players on the team now have said that they are, you know, things seem to be a lot better. And I think that kind of jibes with what, the anecdotal evidence and the physical evidence in terms of demographics will tell you that, um, as you guys know much better than I do, I think Salt Lake City is a much, much more increasingly diverse city than it was maybe 20 years ago. Um, and so I think diversity always um, helps minority groups feel a little more comfortable, a little better. Um, and, you know, I just think it's they, they the point of the story was that you know, there was this, and it's, and I, and I said in the story that it, it doesn't mean that it's still there, but it was there at one point. I'm sure as you guys, yeah. know, that there was right. a perception among many black players that it just was not a good place to go. People did not want to play there. Um, I still think it's very difficult for them to get free agents to come there. So to me, the, the thing that's interesting is that they have convinced all of their black players of, of significance on the roster to not just stay, but to stay for a long time, to sign, you know, long-term contracts to remain there. I mean, Jordan Clarkson last year would have had a lot of suitors, I think, or he could have signed a one-year deal with them and been a free agent this year. There's a lot of teams that have money. Um, they're going to have money and would have an opportunity to give it to him. Uh, he knew that. His agent knew that, I'm sure. 
Um, and they opted to stay long term. You know, you could say Rudy Gobert can't turn down $200 million, and there's, there's some truth to that. Um, it's hard. It would have been hard for him to turn it down in Miami or New York if, where, if he was there. Um, you know, but Donovan Mitchell certainly took the money. Um, Derek Favors came back, which I think is significant, um, and signed a three year deal. Um, I think that's very significant. Um, so those players over the last three to five years have really embraced not just the notion of playing on a good team because the jazz have been a good team under Quinn Snyder the last several years, but to make a long-term commitment to the franchise and to the city. And I think that's significant. So there's a, uh, there's a lot of nuance to the discussion and you address a lot of it. And my guess is being around the league as long as you have and, and seeing you, you know, seeing what you've written and what you, talked about when I've seen you on TV, you know, you probably could have gone 20,000 or 200,000 words if you'd chosen because <laughs> there's, there's so much nuance to this. But I think one of the points that has to be addressed, and, and you're better at addressing this than PK and I think, but it seems like on one hand, there's the topic, well, if I go there, there's going to be a lot of negative behavior towards me. How are people going to talk mm-hmm. to me? How are they going to treat me? All of that. But then there's also, is there a community for me to fit into? Mm-hmm. Is there, um, you know, you, you had a really interesting quote, I think it was from Favors, where he was talking about, hey, some stuff he just can't buy locally, he's got to order on Amazon. So it seems right. like there's a lot of tears to this discussion when you talk about how comfortable and I am I going to be in place X, in this case, Salt Lake City. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's part of the, you know, part of the, the, the the difficulty in talking about race is that you're also talking about class at the same time in, in a lot of cases, right? So, you know, someone like Derek Favors, who's making a lot of money, he can go on Amazon and get whatever he needs that's not available. And so it's okay. Like, you can live in Salt Lake City if you can have whatever you need shipped in. But for, you know, a lot of people of color in Salt Lake City who aren't making that kind of money, they may not have that luxury. You know what I mean? So that's why it's a it's a it's a new it has to be a nuanced discussion because it's not one size fits all um i can only talk about black basketball players because that's what i cover and you know i i don't i don't cover uh working class america um and so i cover people who are pretty rich for the most part um and so they are able to kind of do things that other people aren't and so you have to have that you have to understand that when you're writing about these things. And so, but I tried to limit it to black basketball players in Salt Lake City because even, you know, 20, like I said, 20, 25 years ago, even the fact that guys were making money did not make it worth their while to go to Salt Lake City in, in large case, in many cases. So that has changed. And I think that there is a positive to be um, gleaned from that, that guys do feel more comfortable. But to your larger point of is there a community there, I think it's hit and miss. I think it's hit and miss. I mean, I still think guys are going, you know, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, there is a black community in Salt Lake City, don't get me wrong. I know there's churches there, and there's there's certainly um, communities there, but it's not as diverse and as large, I think, as, as people would feel especially comfortable being in. You have to kind of make the co- the conscious decision that you're going to live in a community where you don't see a lot of people that look like you every day. Yeah, I don't think anybody could argue that. It's still a 
relatively minuscule, if you want to say that. That Derek, or I was going to say Derek Favors, but Derek Harper quote of years ago, and both DJ and I were living in the community at the time, that stung when you, know, yeah. you go live in Utah, and it's, it's still out there. I'm wondering, it, it seems like from the, the glory years of the two Hall of Fame guys up until – through uh, Carlos Boozer and Favor, uh, Darren Williams, and now these guys. It yeah. seems like all the guys who've been here, the minority guys, which in large part obviously are black, that they like it. There, there was a quote, we played a quote, a uh, radio bite. Uh, Favor, uh, Boozer was down in Miami, and the radio mm-hmm. guys bought into the typical stereotype and said, ah, you know, you had to play for the jazz and blah, blah, blah. Gosh, basically, how did you, how much did you hate it? And he said, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not really that bad. So the point being, when guys get here, they end up liking it. And we know, and you've already said it, it's hard to get free agents. How much do you think that the fact that the guys who've been here, African-American dudes who've been here for an extended period, they can sell it and say they like it, can help the Jazz going forward the next five, ten years? Well, I'll say this. I don't think it hurts, certainly, right? I mean, it doesn't hurt the, the, the guys in the main um, who, who play different roles on this team. Um, have all kind of said the same thing about how they like playing for Quinn Snyder. They obviously like the style. Uh, the, the team's the best team in the league right now. So what's not to like, right? I mean, you're, you're, you would have an opportunity to play for a very stable organization. They pay. Um, they're not cheap. Uh, they do, they pay for their players market rate to stay. Um, so certainly I think there may be opportunities down the road, um, for the Jazz to not, you know, again, realistically, do I think the young, you know, great young players in this league, when, whenever they become free agents, is, is Utah going to be on the top of their list? I mean, I, I don't think it will be. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be at the top of Luka Doncic's list. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it will be, but that doesn't, that's okay. It doesn't matter. If you're drafting guys or you're bringing in guys and they like it and they want to stay – what you can do, which is what a lot of championship-level teams do, is that you get those veterans. And you guys got Joe Johnson a couple of years ago. You know what I mean? That's, that's big to me. When you get a guy at the end of his career or who's nearing the end of his career that still can play a little bit and help you win, those are the types of guys that help you win playoff series. You know, a Joe Johnson and people like that that, that that are veterans. And so if you every couple of years are adding – you know, a seasoned veteran who's taken less money to come play for a winning organization that has a chance at a ring, that's a big deal because you've got the core group in place already. But those vets are the guys that can help you, you know, in, in, a, in, a, play, in a game on the road, you know, down 3-2 or down 3-1 and make you believe you can still win and make plays. Those guys help you. And so if the Jazz can, can continue to bring guys like that in, that's a big deal. We're joined right now by David Aldridge, longtime NBA reporter. He is now the editor-in-chief of The Athletic DC. He's got a long story. Uh, the headline is high, Flying High This Season, Utah Jazz, again grounded by questions of race. And this conversation just keeps reverberating. So you write what you wrote. you got a ton of quotes in it, but everybody knows everybody. And you've been a reporter for a long time, and players know who you are. They probably 
watched you when they were in high school or college. So I'm curious what kind of feedback you get, either texting, you don't really go around the league and you're not popping in locker rooms these days because of the pandemic, but I'm sure you still get some kind of feedback because the conversation is ongoing. What have you heard since you've written it from around the league? I think, you know, look, nobody wants to rain on Utah's parade. They're having a a magical season. They have a great chance to win the championship this year. Um, So you want, you know, you'd have to really be looking to write something negative about him, right? I mean, so you're, you know, the the point of the story was going to be a fairly positive piece. Um, And then, of course, the, the Elijah Millsap stuff happened, and you just go, wow, okay, we're right back to it again with Utah and race. And so, what I have heard from people, look, look, I know Dennis a little bit. I don't know him as well as other people do. Um, I, I, I've never gotten that vibe from Dennis Lindsay ever. Um, so I, I don't, I would never say I know someone well enough to say they couldn't, there's absolutely no way they could have ever said or done something bad. That would be ridiculous. We've all done bad things and said bad things in our lives. Um, but I certainly, from talking to people around the league, have asked, you know, whether it's black reporters, it's black agents, black players, and all of them. I haven't heard anybody who has had a bad thing to say about Dennis Lindsay. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) You know, um, I think he seems by all accounts to be above board, completely professional, wants to do the right thing. Um, Again, the proof's in the pudding. If, if people had a problem with this organization, I don't think those guys would be staying. I think they'd be leaving, <laughs> you know. So, to me, that does not mean that that couldn't have happened. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened. Um, but it would be c- completely counter to what, that, what he has done in terms of building that organization, what, what Quinn Snyder has done. And, and, and as I wrote in the piece, you know, I had Andre Patterson reached out to me. I mean, I didn't seek him out at all. He texted me and said, hey, look, I want to, I want people to know this is my relationship with Dennis Lindsay over the years. Um, and I've known Andre a long time. And, you know, Andre's a pretty solid guy, you know. So for him to kind of say, to make the reach out to me, um, said a lot to me. For people who don't know, Andre Patterson worked in Utah uh, 2015 to 17, and he's now in the Cleveland organization. So a little backstory there. Go ahead, PK. So, David, this is an entirely unfair and probably inappropriate question, but it's what my what I do in my role on the radio. Uh, if if these claims are true, and I don't know if they are, or they aren't, but if they are, just on the assumption that they are, is this a fireable offense in your mind? You know, I that that would obviously be up to ownership. Um, it would be a very, very, very bad statement and I think it would be very difficult to come back from something like that if it were proven to be true, especially since Dennis had pretty categorically denied that he said it. Um, if it's if it is proven somehow that he did indeed say it, you're not only dealing with what he said, you're dealing with, with that he lied about what he said, which would which would be to me a fireable offense. Yeah. But good point. Thank you. You know what I mean? So I mean if you cop to it and say, Yeah, I said it in the heat of the moment, it was a terrible thing to say and I you know then you know you can make a you can make a judgment on whether it's fireable or not. Some would say yes, some would say no. Um, but to me, the fact that he has very strongly said that that did not happen, that he did not say it, I think kind of 
there's no middle ground here. Either it's going to be proven that he said it or it's going to be proven that he didn't say it. Um, so I don't know how you could – it would be hard for me to keep him if, if it's proven that he did. But I, we'll find out. I am not in any way saying that I believe he said it because I wasn't there and I don't know. <laughs> um, right, so right. I, well, the investigation will determine that and we'll bear that out. Yeah, good point on the on the on the lying and 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 Dennis has been very strong about it. So that uh, be interesting to see what this league investigation finds. It's just an interesting thing all along, I guess. So I'm curious to the bigger point when you talk about um, you know getting players to Salt Lake, and certainly mm-hmm. you know the question of race has come up in the past. It will come up again in the future. Uh, but there are probably people listening to this saying, well, Durant went to New York, well, Brooklyn, uh, mm-hmm. and LeBron went to first Miami. He did go home to Cleveland, but then he went to L.A. So right. regardless of how these issues play out in the future in Utah, Portland, Utah, Denver, Indiana, I don't know, go on down the list, whatever other market you want, if you're not a top 10 market and if you're not in a warm weather spot— uh, you're not getting big time free agents anyway, and the way the super teams are going, you got to thread a pretty fine needle to get among the league's elite. Is there anything, or what, if anything, is going to reverse that trend? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, 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 that is very true. Um, throw Milwaukee in there also. Yeah. Um, you know, your mid to smaller markets are going to have a very difficult time getting free agents. Very difficult. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. It's the nature of where guys want to live. You know, guys want to live in the warm weather cities and, you know, in LA and Miami and places like that. Um, even New York has not been able to get a whole lot of, you know, they haven't gotten the top guys for a while now. Now they've gotten a few free, they've gotten free agents here and there because they had money, but they have not, they've struck out on everybody of significance, you know, including Duran and everybody thought he was, they were the leaders, you know, going into 2018, 2019. Everybody had the Knicks kind of at the top of the list. Um, and they haven't gotten it done. So it's, it's, there aren't a lot of targets. I mean, Chicago's never tried really in the free agent piece. I think Chicago could get free agents. They've never even really tried. Other than Dwayne Wade, they haven't really gone all out on anybody. And that's just kind of a philosophical, organizational kind of thing that they do up there. Because um, I think they could get people to come to Chicago. But, um, but you're right. There's no question that, that the mid-markets are, are always going to have difficulty bringing in marquee free agents. That's why um, I have no problem. In fact, I think Utah is a model to me of how to do it, which is, you know, you, you have to – you have to hit home runs in the draft and go Baron Mitchell or home runs, home runs, you know, no doubt about it. 450 foot home runs. Um, and that's what you have to do when you're, when you're in, in a mid market, um, you have to really hit the draft. Well, because having the ability to kind of control a player's salary for the you know, first four or five years of their careers is just massive. And then again, you get, to a point with, with a Mitchell or with a Gobert when they get to their second or third contracts, if you can, you know, if you're willing to pay that kind of money, and we saw Sacramento didn't want to pay DeMarcus Cousins and, and wound up trading him. And, and so uh, Gobert, they, they paid, and this year he's more than lived up to it. So 
Um, that's always going to be a, a, a challenge for mid-markets. But the ones that do it well, like Milwaukee, I think, or, or, and like Utah, I think you, you can win big and you can have a chance. And that's all you can ask for if you're any NBA team is to have a chance. And I think those two teams have legitimate chances of being finals teams this year. I want to run a theory by you, and maybe it's a bias, and maybe it's a hope. I spent 23 years working for newspapers, and now that I've been in radio, my mindset has changed. You know, in newspapers, you don't root, but in radio, if you have your teams win, it's good for business. I want to see them win for selfish reasons, so maybe it's my bias that I'm bringing to the table. But in my mind, today's players are so sophisticated in that they can overlook some perceived negatives and will look toward, obviously, the money, will look toward the winning culture, will look towards the stability and management, which includes owner, GM, and coach. And they have that sophistication to know a good situation, even if it's out in the middle of nowhere in the Rocky Mountains, that that can attract them because of their sophistication today and the world being so much smaller with all the technology. So that, along with drafting well, maybe they don't get the premier free agents, but they can get guys that can help their ball club, as you say, at the end of their careers or towards the end of their careers, like a Joe Johnson. So the point being, the sophistication of today's players can help the Jazz not only survive but thrive. Do you buy that? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Yes. I mean, I certainly don't think – I don't think markets matter as much as they used to because you're right. I mean, you know, Oklahoma City had two – league MVPs, right? I mean, they because they it doesn't matter where you play now. Everybody sees every game, right? So there's no um, bias in that regard. There's, no, there's much less bias, I'll put it that way, than there maybe was 20 years ago. Um, so, yeah, there's no question that you can play, you can get commercials and endorsements. doesn't matter where you are. If your team's good and you're an exciting player, I mean, I think you have to be an exciting player. I don't. You know, I think Donovan Mitchell has a much better chance of getting national TV contracts than Rudy Gobert does or Royce O'Neal. You know, no disrespect to them. But what Donovan does is exciting, especially to young people. And that's what advertisers, that's who advertisers cater to. So, yeah, there's some truth to that. Um, it's all, but it's still a challenge now. I mean, I don't want to, I think, you, I don't want to sugarcoat the challenge. It's significant. You have to be as good as Utah has been in getting players for it to work because if you don't you really struggle i mean it's really hard um to continue to put a competitive winning basketball team out there um you know milwaukee got Giannis; they drafted Giannis, and that changed everything for that franchise and the chances of that happening again are probably one in a million you know just that you at at 13 in the draft you pick a guy who's, who becomes that good I mean, it just does not happen very often that you do that. Um, so there's some luck involved, but, but they were smart enough to see the potential there. And, um, but you have to be that good when you're in a mid-market and you're in a middle, you know, a, a middle type of market in the NBA. You, you really do have to be great at drafting. David, last thing before we let you go, if you're handicapping the rest of the NBA season, if the Lakers are healthy, are they the favorite? 
I think so, just because I, I, I just think Anthony Davis makes them so difficult. You know, LeBron is LeBron. He's still great. Um, Anthony Davis just makes it really hard to defend them. And it make, and he makes it really hard to score on them. I mean, he's a better defensive player, I think, than he gets credit for. Um, so the combination is just very difficult to overcome. LeBron, we know LeBron can take four other guys of any type to the finals. He's done it before, right? Um, when you add a, another top five player to it, it just makes it really, really hard. And they're, you know, their role players play off of that. Those guys, I think, are, are big time players. You know, KCP and people like that, and Mark, Mark Morris and or Mark Keith Morris and guys like that. I think that if they don't have too much pressure on them, they they can make shots, and that's all they need to do in the playoffs is make open threes. Um, and we saw defensively how good they could be last year. Now. The, there is a fair question, and they were good last year, but they also had Dwight Howard, who played very well for them in the bubble. We'll see if Gasol plays well in the bubble. And, you know, I, I'm not – he's a good player, but I don't think he brings the physicality that Dwight brought that I thought really impacted Jokic in that series. You know what I mean? Like, he really went after Jokic physically. Um, that's not Mark's thing. Mark is, a, you know, Mark is a very cerebral defensive player and smart in that regard. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I think there is a vulnerability there, but I do think it, all things equal with everybody healthy. I would certainly put the Lakers at the top of the list. But, I, you know, I think Utah, I think the Clippers, I think they're, they're all there. Denver certainly, if they get it together, and they're showing signs here and there. Um, you know, I think the margin is small, but I would say the Lakers are in favor. Well, David, we enjoyed the story you wrote for The Athletic, and thanks for coming on the air here with us for a few minutes. We appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. There's David Aldridge from The Athletic, editor-in-chief of The Athletic in D.C., the D.C. Bureau. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show as they lose to the Pelicans. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. So the Utah Jazz get beat by New Orleans. If you want to beat the Jazz, outscore them. Get over 120 points. Your odds of winning go way up, especially to get to 125. Then you're really good. (laughs) This is like the third highest total, one of the three highest totals of the year, and the Jazz didn't win any of those games. Um, You know, they they just have to play better defense. They gave up 40 points in the third quarter, and that was sandwiched by 33 in the second and 30 in the fourth. That's just not good enough. The 26 points in the first quarter, I mean, they trailed, but it was 26-23, and you can live with that. They can outscore a team that averages 26 points a quarter, but from 26 to 33 to 40 to 30, yeah, that's, that's not nearly good enough. What went wrong? Fatigue, lack of urgency, second chance points, some transition points. There's a whole list, and they'll address them in the best of the postgame show. Here's Jake. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tough loss last night for the Utah Jazz. They followed the Pelicans 129-124. to 
Uh, Jazz uh, get 31 from Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, 22 from Rudy to go along with nine boards and five blocks, 21 from Donovan Mitchell, 20 from Jordan Clarkson coming in off the bench. But it was not enough. The Pelicans got into the paint all night long. Zion Williamson had 26 on 10 of 17 shooting. All 17 of his shots were from the restricted area. Brandon uh, Brandon Ingram had uh, 26 points on 11 of 20 shooting. The Jazz gave up 74 points in the paint, which is the most uh, given up in a non-overtime game in franchise history. The Pelicans just got to the rim and kept getting to the rim over and over and over again. Let's uh, now get you some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Okay, we're going to start with Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Coach, looking at your defense tonight, you guys struggled to get stops. I mean, you're facing a heck of a player in Zion, but you did show a lot of grit in the final four minutes. What do you take away from this one? Well, we just have to be, you know, we have to be better defensively. It was transition, um, you know, on the ball. We were getting blown by the glass. You know, there wasn't a lot that we did well throughout the course of the game on the defensive end. So it's we just have to be better. There's like I said, there's there's a lot of things we need to do better, and I, th- I think there are things we know we just didn't execute. We have to execute. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. When you guys are usually the ones coming out in the third quarter, making the big adjustments and, and going on a run as a result, this time the Pelicans start really kind of forcing the ball to Zion and, and letting him go to work very early on. What was kind of the, the difference early in the third tonight? Well, we didn't protect the paint. That, that was the biggest thing. Uh, you know, if they're able to get in the paint as easy as they did, you know, that no amount of kind of resolve um, once the ball gets there is, is going to be enough. So um, as I said, there's a lot of things that we didn't do defensively. I, and I think, you know, that's what we've, that's what we've done coming out of the halftime. We've raised our level on the defensive end and been able to get out and transition and, you know, and make people pay for, um, for those situations. But if we're not getting stops, um, you know, it's harder for us to play offense. And more than anything, you know, we gave up a 40-point quarter. David James, KUTV. Quinn, how much do you think fatigue was an issue in this and how much was it something else defensively? Well, they're, you know, give New Orleans credit, obviously, you know, both Brandon Ingram and, um, and Zion, you know, they're terrific, terrific offensive players and they're hard to guard, but um, we, we, we let them get what they wanted. Um, as I said, and, you know, I thought Lonzo Ball did a really good job. They had a lot of guys that were making plays um, as far as fatigue goes, you know, the, the, every team in the league is going to be fatigued right now. And, um, you know, that's something we just have to play through. We can still communicate. Um, you know, we had breakdowns and you know, pick and roll where we didn't switch, just a lot of different things. And, um, you know, if you have to think harder and be more urgent, those are things that you can control. Last question, Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com. Quinn, it seems like the team's getting off to some slower starts tonight was certainly an issue. Uh, are, are you noticing that? And if so, what what do you think the issue is? Yeah, I, it's I don't know, Ben. I feel like it's hard to generalize on that. Um, I thought the slowest start was in the third quarter, um, but certainly we want to start the game well. We talked about you know the last time we played them at home, they really got out in transition, and I think that's one of the biggest things. You have to be ready to really have urgency in transition and, and not give up 
you know, easy shots. And same thing with the, um, you know, with the their, their our defensive glass. You know, if you give them additional possessions, um, you know, and we, we had some stretches like that where we gave gave up offensive rebounds, and then on our offensive end, we had a stretch where we turned the ball over. And you know, they they're so quick and long and athletic in transition, they make you pay for that. There's uh, Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder not real happy with his team's defensive urgency in their loss to the Pelicans, one twenty nine to one twenty four. Let's hear from some players. Uh, let's start off with Donovan Mitchell. We'll get started with Tony Jones, the Athletic. Donovan, have you uh, noticed um, a change, kind of going from you know the Hunter as a team to kind of the Hunter, so to speak? You know, now that you guys have gotten off to such a great start to the season. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think um, that's to be expected when we we're doing what we're doing. You know, playing over playing, we play free, we play with joy, and, and you know, teams, you know, teams want to you know kill that joy, you know, and rightfully so. Uh, we just got to be ready for it. You know, we came in at home and you know beat them twice. You know, doing what we do, and you know, we knew they're going to come out like that. But you know, I think we just got to do a better job as a whole. Um, and it really wasn't even the offense. I can't even say it's just the defense. You know, three different guys had twenty points. Um, Rebounds, like we, we we knew exactly what we had to do, and we just didn't execute, and that's on us. Um, and whether we're hunted or the hunter or the hunted, like we still got to be that aggressive team, you know. And we just weren't it tonight, you know. We weren't the same team we were in Orlando um, as a whole, you know. At the end of the game, we competed, and, and you know, we were doing what we're doing, but you know, we kind of let up a little bit, and we'll fix it. But you know, this is a uh, tough one. You know, I think it's a tough one to. to to accept because it was stuff that we can control and we knew this is how they're going to come out and uh, we didn't execute. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan, two questions for you. One, uh, defensively, I mean, they got into the paint so frequently. What was it tonight that kind of allowed uh, Zion special, but it wasn't just him that got down low. What what was it defensively? Um, I don't want to say lack of focus. I think it's just lack of urgency. Um, I think is, you know, what I would say was we, we, we went over it twice. You know, I think when we played them twice, we knew what they, they know what they do. You know, they, the number one, again, in the paint, we had all the stats lined up of what they did and we knew it. I think we just didn't execute it the right way. And, and, you know, we were late to certain things. We're standing there watching, you know, straight line drives. Um, I think that's, that's what really hurt us. You know, like you said, Zion and, and Brandon are, are special. Um, you know, I think Alonzo had a really good game as well, but, you know, I think for us, we got to own the paint and, you know, we didn't, we didn't do that in any way, shape or form tonight. Um, and that's on us, you know, it's a lack of urgency. You know, I think the, that's, that's where we got to, you know, be the team we want to be. We got to have that at all times. You know, this is, like I said, it's a tough loss. And, you know, I think we're all pretty upset about it just because it's stuff that we know. And it wasn't like we were tired. It wasn't like there was anything. We just didn't have the urgency. And that can't happen when we want it to be the team we want to be. And then my second question, just a smaller issue, but the, the dunks this year for you, you're actually only shooting eight of 15 on dunks this year. Um, yeah. What's going on? Um, on that last one, I messed my finger up a little bit. Um, the others, I don't know. Maybe just trying to dunk it too hard. Maybe I'm getting old. I don't know, to be honest with you. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Don, normally you guys are the ones making the big halftime adjustments and coming out and kind of rolling in the third quarter, either turning a deficit into a lead or if you have a lead, expanding it. Tonight, they're the ones who kind of did that, you know, just 
rolling with with Zion early. Kind of what were they doing early on in the third that that worked so well and turned the game around? Um, I think they honestly did the same thing. To be honest with you, Eric, I think it was really just our lack of urgency, like attention to detail, focusing on the little things. Like, you know, they gave the ball to Zion. They ran the small, small pick and roll, and he got downhill. And if he missed, there was a rebound, or if he he drop off, or we we fouled JJ Redick tw- three times in in one night. Like, we we got to be better than that as a whole, you know. Um, Turnovers on the offensive end, jumping out of bounds, throwing it, knowing they're not leaving shooters. You know, it's not the game to do that. You know, I think that's there's all different things that we can do um, better. You know, I think they came out, you know, just aggressive and like Tony said, you know, they were they were hunting tonight and we weren't ready for it. Last question, Chris and Kenny, Joss TV. You're going to be facing a team you already saw before that. You beat at home, top team in the East and the, the Sixers now going to their house. Can you just talk about, you know, being the hunted, but now you're going into their house. What do you expect from their matchup, Joel? I'm sure we'll be back on the floor. The same thing. You know, I think, you know, just because they're number one in the East, we, you know, they're, they're coming at us too. We just got to be ready, you know, at the end of the day, keep the, keep the energy we had, you know, against, our, even though we lost Miami, but Miami and Orlando were games where we came out, you know, and, and did what we were supposed to do. Um, uh, mainly Orlando, but, you know, with them, they, like you said, they lost at our place, you know, and they're looking to, you know, come to do the same thing to us when we get there. Um, and we got to be ready for it on all fronts. And I think, you know, the biggest thing is just matching, one matching the effort, attention to detail and, you know, not losing two in a row. There's Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Donovan uh, talking about how wasn't worried about the offense. The offense played well. It was all about the defense. Donovan did not shoot the ball well. Uh, one of eight from three at 21 points on seven of 21 shooting. Let's now hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. All right. We'll get started here. First question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Boyan. I was wondering if you could kind of just uh, speak to how difficult it is to guard Zion Williamson just with his combination of kind of speed and, and, and power. He really kind of took it to you guys a little bit at the beginning of that third quarter. I mean, it's tough. He's so athletic, strong, and then he got a he's great finishing around the rim. And then even if, if if he don't score the first one, he's he's one of the best in the league for grabbing his own his own misses and and, and trying to to dunk it or lay it, lay it in. So it's it's pretty tough. Even if if you give him the the space, he's attacking straight straight on you. So it was it's tough to guard him actually. Strong and, 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 and pretty pretty athletic. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Bogey, you guys struggled to get the stops and gave up too many points in the pain until the final four minutes of that fourth quarter. But is this a bit of a motivator for you all as you look ahead and head to Philly? It's gotta be. It's gotta be. We cannot we cannot get any 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 easy buckets. Our defense been solid all all year. So no matter how we play offensively, we gotta we gotta get a stops and then give us the chance to to win the game. They had a forty points or, or or something like that in the third quarter. So that that cannot happen. So we gotta we gotta bounce back and 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 play play great defense against Philly and try to get a win before the before the break. David James, KTV. 
But what do you think the uh, the issue was that 40 point quarter and the 70 point half a lack of urgency, fatigue, some combination, something else? What what was the issue? I mean, even when they when they missed a couple couple of shots, they were they were grabbing the rebound. They dominate us on a on the glass. So we gotta we gotta be focused. We show in the first half that we can that we can guard. We were we were taking some 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 bad shots, and then they were running on a, on our backs. We didn't use our our fouls on a, on the right way to stop their their fast break. So. So we got to be we got to be more concentrated and more physical defensively. There's Boyan Bogdanovich. He had a nice night shooting the basketball, 31 points, 11 of 21 shooting, 7 of 11 from 3 at seven boards, but uh, not enough as Jazz fall to the Pelicans. Let's wrap up the player sound by hearing from Rudy Gobert. Hey Rudy, we'll get started with Tony Jones the Athletic. Uh Rudy, when when teams are playing you know, the last three or four teams that you guys have seen play really well against you guys. Um, is this a, just a matter of raising your level or is it this just a matter of just trying to put together 48 really good minutes? I mean, at the end of the day, I think we we compete with ourselves and we know that, you know, now we're in a position when, you know, teams are, you know, when the players, they see it as a challenge. You know, and they, it, it brings out the best out of them every single night. You know, kind of like, I mean, every team that's, that's playing well, you know, when, when you play those kind of team, you want to, you, you, you know that you have to be ready or else we're going to beat them by 30. So they, they come out and they, they play great. They play hard, you know, and uh, it's like a, it's almost like a playoff game every night. So, you know, we, it's on us to uh, be better, be better defensively. And I think, when we better defensively, uh, the offense, you know, takes care of itself, and we we've seen that many times in the, you know, earlier in the season when, you know, when we when our mind is not in the right place, uh, you know, when we we don't play the kind of defense that we can play, uh, it usually affects our offense too, and you know, and those nights are usually not our best nights. Chris and Kenny, Just TV. Rudy, do you use this one as a little bit of a motivator as you guys look ahead to Philly, considering they're another dominant team in the paint? I mean, every every night is, a, is an opportunity for us to get better. And, you know, tonight, whether we win, whether we lose, you know, obviously we want to win every game. But, uh, you know, uh, sometimes when you lose, uh, it opens your eyes a little more on uh, where you, you know, you can improve. And, you know, obviously tonight is defense. You know, I think we, I think we had a chance to win this game anyway. Uh, you know, we went one one terrible cut away from you know being a one point game and maybe getting a chance to win. Uh, we fought hard to you know come back in the game. Uh, you know, but uh, we learned from it. You know, we know that there's a lot of things that we should have done earlier to not even be in this position. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy, so you guys had done a pretty good job of containing Zion early, uh, just nine points at halftime, and then he comes out and he alone gets 15 in the third. They get 24 points in the paint in the third. They score 40 in the third. What kind of changed uh, in that third quarter? I mean, they were – Zion, is, you know, he's a, he's a very good at what he does, which is attacking the rim and putting a lot of pressure on the rim and uh, – 
he did a great job, you know, getting those finishes in in the third. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I think it's our defense. I think we we and I especially could have done a much better job in that third quarter. Um, you know, but it's once again, you know, it's about us getting better. And uh, I mean, I I watch the film and see, you know, all the things that I could have done better. But I definitely, you know, uh, there's a few layups that he had that I could have impacted more. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the ones that when I go straight up and I get elbowed in the chest, uh, there's not much I can do about that. You know, uh, they talk to us about all these rules and being very cold and and it's great. You know, uh, you know, I've I've been trying to do it over the years, but when someone jumps elbow first, you know, there's not much you can do. I mean, it's, it looks good on the highlights, but it's still an offensive foul. So it's. You know, that's not what we lost, you know, once again, but uh, I think we should have done a better job defensively. That was Rudy Gobert, 22 points, nine boards. He had five block shots, but not happy uh, with the refereeing. Said uh, they were one bad call uh, away from a one-point game and possibly getting a W. Also talking about Zion Williamson leading with the elbow. You know, may uh, he had the line there. May show up on the highlight reel, but it's still an offensive foul. And the Jazz still dropped one in New Orleans, one twenty-nine to one twenty-four. They fall to twenty-seven and eight on the season. Their next game will be their final game before the All Star break. Coming your way tomorrow night, taking on the Philadelphia 76ers. That game will tip off at five o'clock. Pre-game coverage will begin at four. There is the best of the post-game show as the Jazz fall to the Pelicans. Sixers tomorrow night. What is trending? All the headlines on the way. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Now Zion to the rack. Lay it in good over Niang and Gobert. Yeah, got in front of Gobert and able to beat him to the glass on the layup. Zion yes, taking sir. it right at Derek Favors. Lay in good with a left hand. The misses for Utah turning into points for the Pelicans. Shot fake back to Conley in the corner. Another double pump. That's Throws good. up an air ball. That's excellent. Rebound Zion. That is excellent. To Zoe. Up the floor, Josh That Hart. is excellent. The two-hand flush. Who's that? And the Jazz beat, or the Jazz get beat by the Pelicans, 129-124. Who's the Pelicans analyst, Jock? Do you know? I do not know. That is excellent. He was excellent, though. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he gets paid a lot of money. Jazz getting beat in transition. Jazz get beat badly in the third quarter. A 40-point third quarter. And when Quinn Snyder said that, you could just kind of hear him grinding his teeth. That drove him nuts. And they could have gotten away with it if they played better defense either before or after that. But the 33-point second quarter and the 30-point fourth quarter is just 129. When you give that up, PK, you're usually going to get beat. And the Jazz got beat despite a strong close in the final three minutes. So you're going to contribute, just to attribute most, if not all, of their losses to defense? Uh, well, yeah, when you give up 129 points, I am. I mean, I can't say most. I don't know what most of their losses are going to look like. But, yeah, I'm going to attribute a lot of this to defense. I mean, it's, you know, when you're, when you're turning the ball over and uh, missing shots and giving up long rebounds, some of it is obviously on the offense. That was, that's what gets the transition started. But you're supposed to be getting guys back. And they didn't. 
Yeah. Well, you, you know, I'm stand up for what you believe in, man. Don't don't be hesitant. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can never completely unravel it. I mean, one feeds into the other. But yeah, when the Pelicans shoot 56 percent and score 129 points, I'm, I'm probably going to point at the defense. Well, they only had eight turnovers, so that wasn't that much of an issue. The fast break points were an issue, though. I thought the transition really hurt him in the first half. In the in the third quarter, everything fell apart. I mean, it just everything went wrong. What do you attribute it to? Certainly, that transition stuff. It seems like there was so many easy buckets there in that quarter. You speak of, and it was excellent. It was excellent. <laughs> Thank you. It was excellent. Yeah, it was excellent. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, they allowed too many easy points right at the rim. My yep. goodness gracious, uh, 56% obviously is a, a significant factor. And they they went old school, only took 11 threes. Somewhere mm-hmm. Jerry Sloan is smiling. Yep. Uh, you know, and the Jazz uh, took 43. I mean, that's, wow, that's... That's new school. More. Yeah. <laughs> That's new school. That is not old school. Uh, I think they've got to find a way to to get Joe Ingles going when Conley's there. You know, I, I sort of think that they're almost duplicate players, and it's like you only get one of them. Do they need both of them? You know, Conley, 10 points. He's okay, but Joe, Zippo, nothing. And we know when Conley's out, Joe elevates his game big time. They're seven and zero when Conley's out, and Joe normally plays a lot better, statistically anyway, when has the opportunities. So it's like when Conley's back, a lot of times it just cancels out Joe, and it certainly did last night. He was a complete and total non-factor. Joe plays a few uh, fewer minutes, so I think that's one factor. I think what you say, you know. That role that Conley is in, when Joe's in it, he's more effective. When Joe's with the bench unit, you know, the ball's going to be in Clarkson's hands a lot, and Joe's going to have a lot of possessions where he just doesn't touch the ball. Yeah, Clarkson's going to go to work and do his thing. And 20 points on 7 of 14 shooting, 3 of 7 from 3. You can't really argue with the production that Clarkson gives you, but it goes back to uh, what I said about the Celtics. Too many shooters, not enough shots. And so you want Joe to go out there and get 15 or 20 because he's capable of it, but there's only so many possessions and there's only so many shots. So I think you're onto something with the whole duplicate thing. Because now, Conley can be better, then that's okay, but he yeah. wasn't. And that shot he took at the end? Not good. I mean, I know these guys are our heroes and they're supposed to be, we don't criticize them, but that was a two-pointer no less. Yep. And you had more time. I mean, that was just an you could have played multiple decision, multiple possessions and fouled. You could have gone and got something in the paint. Yeah, played for two, fouled, and then because they were, I mean, the Pelicans were really committed to defending the three point line in that position possession. I mean, they came out and they were getting after it. So to force a three, which as you say wasn't even a three because you put a foot on the line, so now yeah. that's a two. Uh, that was that was the best case scenario for the Pelicans and the worst case scenario for the Jets. And then Mitchell didn't shoot the ball well. Seven of twenty-one, one of eight. Yep. All right, Jazz now one and two on the road trip, and they've still got to go to Philadelphia tomorrow night to finish the first half of the season. More on the Jazz coming up. Stay with us. We will get to that. Big T Thor Bailey is going to join us at eight thirty. DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. 
Hashtag NBA. Sexton out near the half-court line. Sexton comes right of the lane, stops, shoots, hits! Wow. Colin Sexton makes it 97-89. How about 37 for Colin Sexton? Here comes Doncic, fakes the three, goes left to Porzingis, in the lane for Luka, and then back out to Finney Smith. Down low for Doncic for the dunk. How about that for some in-and-out basketball? There it is. Good looking. Jamal Murray has it on the high left side. Gets a pick from Nikola Jokic. Through the window to Joker. Dunk! Two hands and a foul as well on Chicago. His 22nd dunk of the year. Harden the front court. Right of the lane. Driving it. Flips it off the window and it's good for James Harden. And you get the feeling Harden saying, if I can do this by myself, I'm going to do it. James Harden. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 15 assists, a triple-double. The Nets beat the Spurs 124-113. They needed overtime, but they get it done in San Antonio. And then afterwards, Kyrie Irving saying, get used to it. The Nets are figuring it out, PK, and Harden's going off. Well, yeah, they're winning a fair amount of ball games, so sure, fine. They're 10 games over 500 now, and they get that win. Uh, the Sixers, the Jazz will see them on Monday. The Sixers got 24 points, 13 rebounds, and 5 assists from Joel Embiid. And they beat the Indiana Pacers 130-114. to The Sixers and the Nets in a race at the top of the East. Those two pushing each other. Philly remains a half game up on Brooklyn well, after that win. That, that's a standard ball game for Embiid. They had two guys I'm not even aware of off the bench combined for 46 points. As you scramble to find out who they were. That will get you a win. <laughs> yes, who were they? Two guys? Yeah. Two youths? Milton, Milton and the dude from uh, Turkey. Korkmaz. Ferdinand Korkmaz. What do you know about Ferdinand Korkmaz? He's from Turkey. Nothing. Uh, I, had to go, look nothing. Him. I literally, when I saw that box score, I had to look him up. I, I literally knew nothing. I'm not going to pretend I know everything. I'm not all things to all people. I had no clue who he was. I had to look it up. You going to tell us anything about him? He's from Turkey. That's okay. all I friggin' know. Okay. I already told you. Right. <laughs> I thought maybe you found out more when you looked him up. Portland beat the Hornets 123-111. Carmelo gave the Blazers 29. The Blazers staying over 500. Just a few games over 500, but they're there, staying afloat, waiting to get CJ. CJ McCollum rolling. Rockets not staying a not staying afloat. PK, they are dropping like a rock. One hundred one to ninety, they lose to Cleveland. You heard Colin Sexton highlight there. He had thirty-seven. He finished with thirty-nine. The Cavs are not very good, but good enough to beat the Rockets. We've now lost twelve in a row. A spectacular streak. And the Nuggets picked up a win. Jokic, the Joker, thirty-nine points. 14 rebounds, 9 assists. Misses a triple-double by 1 assist, but that's an outstanding stat line. They beat Chicago 118-112. to 112. Luka Doncic also missed a triple-double by 1 assist. Mavs beat the Magic 130-124, to but he had 33 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. And the Hawks fired coach Lloyd Pierce. 14-20 start. He was midway through his second season. Longtime NBA coach Nate McMillan will take over as the interim coach. Nate's back. Long run with the Pacers. With the Sonics back in the day. Played for them. Longtime NBA guy. DJ and PK.
Hashtag NFL. I would say he's, he's a sly, kind of athletic person. He's a more mobile Tom Brady. You know, he's, he's very athletic, I would say. But he's very smart, too. Um, you know, not just on the field. He's smart off the field as well. Um, but he's a great person. He's a really great person. And, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, when, when I was playing at Alabama, uh, they really love being around, you know, his personality and who he was. So I am thinking whatever team gets him, I mean, they're going to be very lucky. He's a great player. Tua Tagovailoa pumping up Mac Jones as an NFL prospect right there. Quarterbacks are like coaches, PK. Teams have to gamble on one, but do you really want to say that's the guy? Because you never know how it shakes out. Oh, you don't know completely. No, I agree with that. Some guys maybe feel better about than others. Uh, And he's one of these prospects. It's intriguing how much was the system. I mean, there's all sorts of talent. They had a great receiver who won the Heisman, and they said he wasn't even the best receiver on the team because the other guy got hurt. (laughs) So... Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the same thing as we've seen with high school guys. Okay, we draw up this play, and I've got two D1 receivers and a pretty good offensive line, so I never really have to adjust on the fly or anything, and I don't have guys in my face, and so we run the play as it's supposed to be, and away we go. And so we've seen a number of guys with just awesome high school stats not be anything at the college level, and so you see the same thing here. I'm not... I, don't know the answer to that, but certainly he's this young man's going to get his opportunity, and, and if you're him, that's really all you want. Kansas City Chiefs expect Patrick Mahomes will be recovered from his recent toe surgery in time to participate in the team's June minicamp and be fully fit to take part in training camp later this summer. So, Chiefs fans, don't have to obsess about that. All is well. Man, I was nervous about that one. Thought you might be. Texans star J.J. Watt is joining the Arizona Cardinals. J.J. made the announcement on social media. He's going to get a two-year deal with $31 million, $23 million guaranteed. That is more money than I thought he was going to get. I thought he was probably going to go to a playoff team, try to elevate him to a Super Bowl team, but he's, he's going to go to a decent team and try to elevate him to a playoff team, and, and we'll see what they do after that. Renewed my season tickets on the spot. Yeah. Did you call your uh, call your sister? Gauge the enthusiasm among the Cardinals season ticket holders. I did not. No, I figured that uh, everybody is excited about that. I saw somebody put out a GIF of uh, Jamal Murray and JJ Watt arriving in to training camp, and it was Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger in the, <laughs> that movie. Because, you know, Murray is pretty small and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was sort of out of left field. I, I mean, I listened to sports radio there for about 15 minutes, and I said, okay, that's enough because that's all they're going to talk about all day. And they were surprised and stunned and overwhelmed and excited and all those types of things that you can think of when a megastar signs with your team. Now, is he going to be a megastar there? He's had injury issues. Yep. But I don't know. But uh, – think at what 32 years of age he still has the opportunity to be very productive Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers giving back donating more than a million dollars to small businesses in and around his hometown of Chico Chico California in uh, Northern California Rodgers created a small business COVID-19 fund last month with initial half million dollar donation he doubled it some other people kicked in another hundred grand 
So it's for businesses with 20 employees or less. A lot of restaurants that are struggling through COVID and all that. So he said there were applications, videos. It was heart-wrenching to hear some of the stories about the obstacles facing restaurants and retail establishments. So uh, he's he's hoping this helps get some of them uh, get through this and get to the other side and uh, be successful again. Oh, that's absolutely awesome. That's what I want to hear. I don't want somebody put a sign or take a knee. Uh, that, that's all good Good on you for doing that. But uh, I want real action and real results and real helping and all that stuff. And, and this goes to, towards that. It is heart-wrenching. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, a lot of people have lost work and are suffering greatly. Hopefully this will help some businesses uh, keep an employee on or pay some rent, pay some utilities, whatever it is they need to, to get through this. This is what it's about. Good job by Aaron Rodgers. And Washington is uh, cut ties with Alex Smith. Yes, Alex Smith can now look for a spot. I don't know, compete for a starter or maybe go somewhere. And, you know, he got such rave reviews from Mahomes for working together with him for a year. You wonder if one of the teams that drafts somebody will bring him in either to play a little bit or be there in case the other guy falls. It'll be interesting to see. How many people are interested in him and what his options are? He didn't sound like a guy who wanted to retire. so. But it'll be hard to get, get anyone to really to commit to him as the starter, uh, given the injuries he's had in the past. But 5-1 and one is the starter this year. The stats weren't great, but he went out there and helped them win some games. So it's got to appeal to somebody, you'd think. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Yeah, they can throw. There are a lot of good throws today. Uh, you could tell that there was a competition going on, but you know, the guys weren't shy to throw the ball down the field. And I, I was really pleased with the target set that they're throwing to. The guys uh, caught the ball really well. And what you're used to in day one is the administrative penalties. So, like, guys misaligned and guys being in the wrong spot and maybe some false starts here and there, and we didn't have any of that. So that's a good sign for us, you know, that it was really clean as far as administrative penalties. That should happen when you have a bunch of veterans there. But what was really cool was the, the fact that the twos and the threes didn't have any of those either so that's a good sign for us there's Kalani Sataki finding the positive as spring ball gets underway it's the little things PK they're lining up right they're not jumping and coach him up from there you don't have to work on those basics well I think you come up with something to say when you're on zoom call or skype whatever it is and so that's what he decided to go with and fine BYU announcer adding Navy and Royal Blue helmets to their uniform combinations. Also, right after our show yesterday, they announced they've got a home-and-home with Old Miss in 2028 and 2029. Also got a game with Dixie State in 2024. As Tom Momo gets away from building schedules on a week-to-week and month-to-month basis and goes back to signing games for when my kids will be in high eight school. years out. Yeah. It'll be here. We've laughed about other stuff that's been signed eight years out and Games eventually get there, so. Ole Miss, put them back on the schedule. That was how they started Independence. Kyle Van Oy getting the win at Ole Miss. Alabama moving ahead with plans to host full-capacity college football games at Bryant-Denny Stadium this coming season. Their AD announced yesterday, Greg Byrne, it tweeted a short statement. After news early in the day, the school will be returning to in-person instruction without restrictions on classroom capacity in the fall. Bama reduced capacity to 20% last fall due to COVID-19. Sounds like they're anticipating lots of folks 
getting the shots, being vaccinated, and ready to go in the fall. Sports start to look and sound normal, hopefully, PK. Yeah, I agree. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. It's all very odd. I haven't done that in a while. It's been like almost, I don't know, a year and a half since we've had baseball and fans in the stands, so it was cool. Happy to have the fans back for sure. And locked it in in the second inning, which is good, so felt good. That's Trevor Bauer, new Dodger pitcher. Getting used to that old feeling. Hearing noise when you pitch instead of hearing the ball hit the catcher's glove and echo around the park. Major League Baseball has brought back uh, in-game video, PK, on dugout iPads this season. That kind of went away after the whole Astros thing blew up. But now players can watch video of at-bats with the catcher signals clipped out of the video. (laughs) Okay. So there's that. Red Sox use the mercy rule for the first time as spring training games get going. Uh, They can end an inning after a pitcher has thrown 20 pitches. So... Bases loaded, one out. Oh, that's 20 pitches and we're done. So he's at the bail Garrett Richards out, and then he had a one, two, three second inning. The result's not the deal in spring train, PK. Just get the work in. Don't worry so much about the situation, I guess. No. Uh, yeah, I thought they had something along those lines uh, in prior years. I don't know if it was 20 pitches or whatever it was. Uh, I've seen it before. Uh, I watched some baseball yesterday. My DirecTV with my Fox, any game that's un. That's, that they put on Fox, I can get for spring training without having to pay for the package. So I was with the Angels. They only played five innings in their game. So I was watching that one, watching the Dodgers. It's good to have it back. And then I just torture myself. Man, that's in my community. I could be enjoying that weather right now. <laughs> and then you look out and see snow. <laughs> yeah. There's no job too big or small. What is trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. They got you covered. No job too big or small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up this morning, Guy Holiday, former University of Utah wide receivers coach, will join us at 805. Big T Thurl Bailey at 830 to talk about the Jazz recent struggles. There's a phrase they haven't had to use. And Derek Bodner, senior writer for the Athletic Philadelphia. He's covering the 76ers. It's the Jazz and the Sixers in Philly tomorrow night. We'll talk with Derek coming up at 9 o'clock. Question of the day coming up next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes to Toast brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Right now, you can get up to $6,000 in purchase allowance on the XT lineup. Experience the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today at Jerry Signer Cadillac. Question of the day, a valiant late effort, but the Jazz still falls short in New Orleans. Disappointed yet? Jero says, not disappointed. They fought hard, but you got to give credit to the Pelicans. They fought harder. I was disappointed with that loss. Because the Pelicans aren't that good. First one in a while I was disappointed with. 
And there were warning signs along the way, and if they'd ratcheted it up a little earlier, they would have won it. But they waited until there's three minutes left, and they couldn't quite pull it off. Yeah, Harpering was talking about being fatigued, but somehow they weren't fatigued at the end of the game when they made a, just an unbelievable comeback. Uh, and obviously they felt the uh, time was running out. So the sense of urgency was very, very great. And they responded. You know, they had an opportunity to take the lead. And that was awesome. And Mitchell on that driving shot, you know, he made a little move there at the right elbow. And then I thought, okay, he's got a lane. Go ahead and take it. Now, he didn't make the shot. I can live with that. Uh, the, the final possession there with Conley, I can't live with that. That was brutal. It's, that was a horrendous decision. They can't, you can't do that. I know he's supposed to be an all-star and it's the world's greatest ripoff and all this stuff, but you can't do that. And so that that was a problem. That transition defense you speak of was awful. So uh, the the prior two losses, I, I'm okay with, but this one, no. Tony says they looked like zombies in the third quarter. All star breaks hitting at the right time. Maybe a little something to the all star break, but I thought the comparison was with the Pacers game, and a lot of things you point out, PK. Like, they were fatigued when they went to Indiana. It was the same deal. It was the third road game in four days. They had played a back-to-back that had a day off. That part of the scheduling was the same. And they were fatigued in Indiana, but they had that sense of urgency earlier, and they were able to grind it out, and we came in here and complimented them on Monday after they won that early Sunday tip-off thing. And, hey, they were tired, but the sense of urgency kind of helped them push through it. And, like, they were just bound and determined they were going to win that game. And this one, I thought they were fatigued, but they didn't have the same urgency. They weren't grinding. They didn't have the urgency until the last three minutes. They had it then. But the rest of the time, it kind of felt like, hey, we'll trade shots, we'll hit shots, we'll trade for three for two, and we'll be okay. And they weren't okay. It just kept slipping away until they were down by 17. And the start of the fourth quarter – I thought maybe they were kind of getting into it, but they were still trading hoops and giving up easy buckets. And to be fair, as bad as they were at times in transition, they also had some pretty lousy half-court defensive sets, too, where the Pelicans were still getting in and just getting easy stuff right at the rim, five, five feet and in. So, and and you, can, you can gripe about the end of the game. And well, there was a lot to be happy about in the, in the later stages of the game, but you can gripe about, you know, uh, on that shot you talk about with Mitchell, you know, there was the, uh, the foul on uh, Rudy going over the back. Well, he, he went over the back. I mean, I know they don't always call it at that point in the game, but he was over the back. It, it's about all the possessions you gave away earlier in the game. If that's over the back, there should have been a lot more calls than that. And I get it. They don't always call it. They don't. you know. But still, you set yourself up. And they set themselves up with how they played through the middle of the game. That was where everything went, went south. So if we're going to be pumped when they grind through that situation against the Pacers, I think you've got to be disappointed when they don't grind through it against the Pelicans. Tyson says, it's not whether you win or lose. All that matters is that everyone had fun. And then he's got a laughing emoji. So I think Tyson was probably a little disappointed by that. Throwing the old cliche out there. Kurt says, as Denny Green once said, the Jazz are who we thought they were. Beyond disappointment, PK. 
tearing everything down that they built up with their 11 and 9 game win streaks. Yeah, that's an extreme exaggeration. <laughs> Dyson says, I'm very disappointed. Shaking my head at that terrible defense all game. Rudy's been getting bullied the last few games, and if you want to be the defensive player of the year, you got to do better than that. We need better perimeter defense as well. Bogey is such a liability defensively. I know we don't want to mess up chemistry, but I think we need to make a move or two at the deadline, in my opinion. Well, sure. You can always get better. Depends on who, who's out there and what you have to give up. I, I have no idea on that. I, have, you know, I, I heard that I uh, saw somebody out of Houston or someplace that they were one of three or four teams who were interested in P.J. Tucker. Of uh, Houston, as Houston conducts a fire sale, as they're going nowhere and maybe get rid of some of their veterans and start their rebuild in full earnest here. So depending on what you have to give up for P.J. Tucker, he's he's a gritty, hard-nosed, junkyard dog kind of a guy. Occasionally he can hit a three, but only 6'5", I think, but plays a lot harder and a lot bigger than that. So I would be interested in that, some type of role player. It's not like they need a lot. It's not like they're going to be able to get a lot. Uh, so uh, I can see some improvement. I think they, going back to what we said earlier, they got to find a way to incorporate Ingles when Conley's playing. Conley wasn't good enough against uh, the Pelicans, and then conversely, Joe was a complete and total non-factor. And that's been an issue. It's been an issue there of getting Joe to play to his ability when Conley's in the lineup. How do they put the ball in his hands more? That's the question. And how do you juggle the rotation so there's more possessions where Joe's initiating the offense? Because when he's used in the corner as a, as a decoy in that corner three-point shooter, nobody's going to leave him. He's got too good a rep. He shot the three too well for too long. So it may help the other guys play in the middle of the floor and you know get in a four-on-three and a three-on-two and all that stuff, but it's not going to get Joe involved. And it's not going to get Joe running pick and rolls and creating for other guys. And Joe's not going to get a lot of shots. They're and he's too him. good of a player to have two assists and zero points. Brian says they lost. It happens. Every team hits good and bad streaks. Jazz will be fine. Fans need to get a grip and take the good with the bad. In this case, it would be take the bad with the good, but I get your point. They are 3-3 three and three in their last six, PK. And after winning 20 out of 21, 3-3 three and three in the last six doesn't feel so good. No, it's too casual of an attitude. I don't accept, well, just because that's the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way I would approach it. I don't think that's the way Quinn Snyder is approaching these things that wasn't That wasn't his uh, facial language. I was going to say his body language, but you don't see that much of it. But, but the look in his eyes, I mean, he's got the mask on in the postgame, but the look in his eyes, yeah, he was pretty fired up postgame. Yeah, because if they play like this, they'll lose to Philadelphia, and then they'll go one and three, and be three and four in their last seven. Yep. And they go into the All Star break on a downer, and now you have a week off. I don't know that that anything comes at a good time. You can, you that stuff is like a buy in college football. You can spin that any way you want. Like it comes at a great time for the Jazz because they're tired, but everybody else is fresh as can be. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy that. Everybody else isn't fresh. These are dog yeah. days. Other teams have back-to-backs. Other teams yeah. are grinding. Other teams have had guys gassed and, you know, little issues and have, have sat them. I and mean, there's a whole list of games where the Jazz haven't faced guys, either because of a significant injury or, or a minor one. But either yeah, way, Yeah, I just view all them. that as excuses. 
as to why you can't win and why you didn't win. I mean, the the Pelicans played Saturday too, and they lost to uh, the Spurs. I think it was. So that's all. Nah, that that that's the stuff I can't accept, and and I'm not going to. And I know we're going to hear it. You know, they're tired and they need to go to the break. Well, yeah. Well, so the, but the other guys, they, they're they're running around just as fresh as can be. They've had three weeks off, <laughs> playing two games a week. Nope. Yeah, I don't really, I, I don't understand all that stuff. To me, that's just a blah, blah, blah. Well, they had the peak, and when you, when you have that, you want to extend it as long as you can, and 20 of 21 is pretty good. And you know there's going to be a valley, but you got to minimize yeah. it. And this thing's at 3 of 3, and I think exactly what you said about, you know, th- that, that game they played against the Pelicans, it'll get them beaten Philly. Now the Valley's three of four, and it's going to happen. I mean, it's you can find plenty of teams that won championships, and they had this, but all those teams try to minimize. I mean, the Lakers just went through a rough stretch, right? But man, as soon as they got one guy back, they were pushing to get out of that. We, they got to get it, man. It's this is a lull. This is bad, and there was no hey, we're going to ease back into this. It's like they flipped the switch and they went out and got wins. You just can't. When you get in one of these stretches, I mean, they do happen to everybody, and they just happen to Lakers, but when you have a chance to get out of it, you got to get out of it as fast as you can. You can't just be really like, well, we'll get out of it eventually, you know, maybe after the break. And No, get out of it as soon as you can. Well, I'm not talking about peaks and valleys and all that stuff. None of that matters in the moment when you're playing the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. That That's the only thing that matters. Everything else... Well, this is what happens over the course of the season, and then I recite history. Well, that that just doesn't fly with me. I'm in the moment. I try to live in the moment here, and this I want to talk about the New Orleans game. That's all that matters. Any peak or valley or what have you, what they did in January and February, it, it just, there's no bearing on what they're doing against New Orleans. That's the game. That's the game that they let slip away because they didn't play near to their ability. That's what's what what's relevant and that's that, why Quinn has that look in his eyes because they didn't play near their ability yeah the Pelicans shouldn't be shooting over 50 percent and scoring over 120 points the Jazz are a bad team when they give up 120 points or more they're two and four this year and you got to defend better than that and if you have a bad quarter you got to pull it together I thought halftime was a time to pull it together 59 points and a half to the Pelicans that's a huge number 59 is a – and they had the lead, 64-59. So if you tighten up the act then, you're going to be okay. Instead, they gave up 40 in the third. Yeah, and on layup drill. Yeah, lots and, of shots inside of And you foul Reddick twice and they give him four-point plays? That has nothing to do with a peak or a valley. That has nothing to do with being tired. That's just dumb play. Don't do that. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. It's an old John Wooden saying. And I, I, I never understood that. What is Who's Cause cowardly? Because you, you break down and you do stuff you shouldn't do. But J.J. Redick, who's well, 37 years old, you shouldn't man, he's just fresh as a daisy. Stop. And he's got so much energy. And he just he's just pumping full of testosterone. I mean, <laughs> he, he was getting tats, more tats on his other arm. Because he was so excited and was so alive and like he had just been born. I don't buy all that. The last you foul thing you want to do is foul. A shooter yeah. twice on three-point shots. That has nothing to do with cowardly or fatigue. That's, that's just bad play. I don't want to hear it. 
Don't put J.J. Redick at the line. He's a really good shooter. It's going to go poorly. Yeah. In a one-possession game, that's eight points, according to my math. Doesn't really need to be done, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you can come up with all the reasons why, and every single one of them goes in my ear and goes out the other. You foul the shooter twice, 20-some feet from the bucket. Were you thinking you were going to block a shot? George Niang, are you going to block a shot? I mean, you're a, a noted shot blocker in this league. Randy says no defense for three quarters. The Jazz deserved to lose. Well, they did. And there you go. I mean, you, whatever the result is, that's what you deserve. <laughs> so, that's... Of course they deserve to lose. They lost. Greg so. says, no, I'm not disappointed. Nobody wins them all. That's true. It's not about winning them all. Just it's don't about have the to New lose Orleans to a, Pelicans game. You don't have to lose to a team that's dragging in the standings the way the Pelicans are. Eh. When the I mean, ones they, you're supposed they, they've to They've got NBA players. They were five games under 500 though, and the Jazz are the better team. And if they defend yeah, it, like they, you say, if you don't foul J.J. Redick, you give yourself a chance to win the game. They weren't the better team. They should have been. Right, but you can't say they are the better team. No, it's about this game. In the moment, this game. They've got multiple All-Stars on their team, so give them credit. It's not taking away anything from them. They've got players. This is what the NBA is about. Virtually every team has players who can get you on a given game. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Guy Holiday, former Ute wide receiver coach, is coming up at 8.05. Big T Thurl Bailey at 8.30. Stay with us. It's DJ and PK on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Dirt, dust, dander, and allergens are no match for Zero Res carpet cleaning. Want the contaminants gone? Call Zero Res. Right now, just $33 per room to get your carpets. Zero res clean, but minimums apply. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online. Zero res carpet cleaning. All right, the question of the day. Are you disappointed? A valiant late effort, but the Jazz falls short. Are you disappointed yet? Josh says the one seed is huge, and losing a team they are better than is disappointing. Missing out on the one seed because of losses like this would be disappointing. Yes. Think bigger picture. You know, when times are hard, do you recognize they're hard, and do you change what you have to change on the fly in the middle of the game so you get the result you need? Because you're going to have to do that in the playoffs against much better competition. And when you don't do it against the Pelicans, what makes you think you're going to do it in the playoffs? I think that's probably the thing people find big picture disappointing. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I would go there, though. Why? Because I have to allow them to improve. I can't just take them at face value, and this is who they are. And they can't get better. They can't make adjustments. Oh, I buy that. I mean, if they have, if they figure out when things are going south in a game and whatever you're doing wrong, you know, you're getting beat on the perimeter and too many guys yeah. are getting into the paint and putting Rudy in a two-on-one. Uh, you know, if you can figure that out in the game and change it, that is an awesome skill to have, you know. <laughs> that is, that is, and if you're looking for teams to go deep in the playoffs and win it all, they usually have that, you know. 
And that's there's the million stories about that. You know, Phil Jackson sitting over there not calling timeout and let those guys figure it out. And that's what he's getting his teams ready to do. Figure it out. When st- stuff is going to go wrong, you're going to play poorly. How bad is the stretch going to be? If they had only defended poorly in the second quarter, they would have won the game. You know, if they figured it out earlier. They, they had it figured out. They got a bunch of stops in the last three minutes. But Bowler and Harper kept talking about the game, and they haven't had three stops in a row yet. And, and Quinn was just in his, uh, I don't know if it was a pregame or a postgame, I think it was a pregame Zoom, about a week ago, maybe it was a little less than that even, saying when you have a 10-0 run, the most important part is the zero. You can be going down court scoring, that's great, but if you get three and they get two and you get two and they get two, if it's 10-6, that's not as good. You know? You're hot, you need to make sure you're playing great defense because that's how you drop 10-0 on them. You need to get the stops. Well, you you got to have offense too. Yeah. But when you get the 10, because you score on, you know, well, they don't even, I was going to say you score on five straight possessions, but the Jazz can get 10 off of four possessions the way they shoot the three. Are you getting stops in between, or are you just kind of trading hoops? That'd be 12, though. Oh, I was thinking a couple threes and a couple twos. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever on that. That, that. But I'm not going to go and say, well, this is the way it's going to be in the playoff. I'm going to stick to... This entire morning, the New Orleans New Orleans Pelicans game, because that's all that matters. And to say, well, if you play like this, you'll lose in the playoffs. Sure, but what's the point of saying that? You're not playing in the playoffs. No, you're not. But it goes to your point that you're going to give them time to learn and get better. So yeah. this is something that you got to take from the Pelicans game, learn from it, and get better. This isn't a perfect team by any stretch. No one, no team is perfect. So I'm, I'm going to allow them the opportunity. If I want to step aside and step back, then I'm going to allow them the opportunity to grow and get better. Absolutely I am. But if we're going to talk in the moment, which is what I want to do, because that's all that matters. I mean, we've been lavishing praise on this team for months. Yes, but they went 20 and 21 for months. Now they've gone three. So you should. Three and three in their last six. They decide what I say, not me. And I want to talk about this game, because this is the only game that we can talk about in we can talk about abstract concepts, and we have next week to do that because there are no games. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say it like that, I just as soon from the hold third, off from on the... all those discussions. That's why I want to talk about the Pelicans game because the Pelicans game got under my skin, and it, it bothered me, and it bothers Quinn Snyder too. Whatever I, whatever the level it bothers me, it's like one tenth of one millionth of one percent. That it would bother Quinn. Not that he's going to obsess about it either, but he's going to take it and use it for what he needs to do to help this team gets be- get better. I mean, let's not just go crazy here and, and just look and say, oh, they're going to lose this, and this is the same old jazz and all that stuff. No. They lost the Pelicans game, a game that they had every opportunity to win, and they should have won. And, yeah, to an extent, maybe as I look at the two Friday losses, the Clippers and the Heat, I'm thinking, well, subconsciously or even maybe consciously, I can accept it a little bit better because of the fact that I view those teams as much better. And the Pelicans, sort of front runners, and whoever that dude was, excellent, excellent, excellent on the commentary. That bugged me uh, because I don't want to hear that. And, you know, they gave a team – uh, momentum and allowed them to feel good about themselves when they shouldn't have. And, and for some reason, Van Gundy bugs me. I don't know what it is. But, uh, he, I 
mean, he he wants to be on the right side of history with all of his comments and all they do. All those people on the right side of history, all they do is just criticize. They didn't offer any suggestions on how to how to make things better. Just criticize, and now you don't hear a peep out of them. And when is involved in another country, you never heard a peep out of them either. Didn't have much to say on some other issues, but certain his domestic issues, boy, they couldn't shut up. So that's just my own little personal thing. But uh, I don't. I just didn't like the way they played. I didn't like, like the mindset. They allowed the Pelicans to be better than they are. And so the Clippers, I don't think they allowed the Clippers to be better than they are, nor do I think they allowed the Heat to be better than they are, because those teams are good. And I realize the Heat don't have the Sterling record, but when they have their guys, they're still pretty good. So maybe that's why I can accept it a little bit easier uh, on those. And here's a team that should have never been allowed to look that good. Although Zion, man, he is that proverbial bull in the china shop, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Man. He just looks like he's an unst- unstoppable but you could, But you could, you could weather that. I mean, he had 26, and you could have weathered that. But mm-hmm. it goes back to like, okay, Zion is very talented. We know that, right? I mean, he's the number one pick for a reason. Everyone watched every Duke game for a reason. But he had 26. He didn't have 46. He didn't have 56. If you lost, 66. you lost because Ball had 23. He didn't shoot it that well. How do you let him get going like that? He had so much confidence. That three he shot yeah, at the end yeah. of the game yeah, looked yeah. great. And they had a replay of it. Man, the rotation was perfect. It was great. But it's like, doesn't he have a long history as a shooter in the NBA? He's not a good shooter. He shouldn't be going for 23 on you. You got to take away his free throws and his layups. Make him a jump shooter. He won't go for 23 on you. So, yeah, if, if, if Zion goes up, they might score 110 or 115 points, but they're only getting to 129 and beating you on a night. We're not even talking about Bogey shooting the ball well. Bogey, Bogey had 31. We've all been waiting for that, right? There haven't been enough of those nights for him. No. But it doesn't matter because he got largely offset by Ball, who's not a good shooter, who shouldn't be having 23-point games. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. it, it it bugged me watching that. Like he should. I mean, Zion should be scoring like that. He's a very good player. You know, twenty six. And if if their best player, okay, I'm going. I know you just want to focus on the Pelicans, but if you flash forward, if you if you had a playoff series with the Clippers and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard never score more than twenty six points in a game, don't you think you have a pretty good chance of winning? Or if you get to the Lakers and you hold AD and LeBron to twenty six, don't you have a pretty good chance of winning? It Wait, was, 26 apiece or total? Uh, either one of them. I mean, he was a high scorer well, at 26. Well, if, yeah, if, if they certainly uh, total, yes, you will well, win. Well, not total. No, it. but I would say 26 apiece. At 26 apiece, you can beat those teams. You know, I'm, I'm scared of the Lakers because I think those guys can go off for 35 and they can bury you. But when you, when you let a non-shooter go off, that – why are the Pelicans suddenly better on one night than they've been all year long? Well, if they got 23 out of ball all the time, they'd probably be a better team. But he can't shoot it like that routinely. If he did, he'd still be a Laker. Well, that's not Ooh, true. They wanted AD. It. Never mind. I take that back. They wanted AD too bad. Okay, they would have given him right. up for AD. All yeah. right, I'll be quiet. For that level, they would have moved him. But okay. you get the point. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up, we're going to talk college football. Guy Holiday, former University of Utah wide receivers coach, will join us next. Stay with us.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Guy Holiday, the former University of Utah receivers coach. Before that, BYU receivers coach. A lot of you have uh, rooted for him and his players and his teams over the years. Guy, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. How's it going? Uh, it's going okay for us. I guess we're curious about how it's going for you. Job changes are always hard, and you are suddenly going through one, at least suddenly to us. Maybe you saw it coming. Uh, yeah, it's pretty sudden. and uh, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm not disappointed because that, I, you know me, I speak my mind. Um, you know, it's a situation where it's, it's been just a, a hard year as far as everybody thinks about COVID. But I go all the way back to having a, a receiver arrested and, and those things. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they uh, get into the game for – you know, winning championships and all those things are important. But for me, it's about people. So when you when you go through that, you're going through it. Um, at least me, I can't throw away a a person, a young person. I, I just can't do it. And um, you know, if if things come out for that person or any other person, and you know, you feel for for the victims of um, who experienced it, and, and you know, but you have to believe in in that person and then you take that and you go through COVID and then uh for me that was that was a it was a challenge I um I had uh, a couple positive tests here and there um but it really didn't come out to be anything uh but it drained me so I I was drained I was tired and went through another player who um you know decided to leave and come back and under uh, certain circumstances, and then obviously the two players that left. That was one was really crushing to me uh, as a person because I've known the family for for so long, and uh, so it was. Um, you know, when him, when uh, coach and I sat down, it was. I understood it. I believe me, I understood it because you know, in this this game, the ultimate deal is to to win. Well. You know, I had a chance to go to NFL last year to two different teams, and you know, I, I'm not a, I don't like the business side of this as far as when you deal with young people, and uh, and I think we're in a, a, um, a very interesting and tragic time as far as uh, college sports. You know, the open transfer policy, and you know, and uh, things like that. So now we have so many people involved with uh college athletes uh the people on the outside and and at at the end of the day you know with um what it all comes down to whether we like it or not we want kids that want to win championships but we recruit kids that want to get to the nfl so um you know based on that your production is everything and um you know these guys want to essentially be more productive and and i understand that and you know, um, both of them are going to have degrees, and that's my job, to get them here, get a degree, and uh, and do the best I can for them. And I think I did that. But I, I want to clear the air as far as I've always said, I speak for myself. I mean, the University of Utah, um, they've been good to me. Okay, so me leaving there and everybody, you know, needs to know that they're taking care of me. This is not that hey they kick no they're doing some uh doing some things right by me which i appreciate i appreciate mark harlan and um i, I appreciate the opportunity that that uh Whit gave me 
and uh, we had a great relationship and still do. You know, it's just um, you got to make tough decisions and, and do tough things. And some people say, well, oh, it was his coaching or this. And anybody that knows me, measure me by my players. Don't measure me by what you think. And uh, I got enough texts. And this part makes me emotional because I got enough texts, enough phone calls from former players and current players uh, that told me I did the right thing. I did it right. And that's all that matters. What every fan thinks, no, I don't, I don't do this for fans. I don't do this for fanfare. Uh, I love my players. And at the end of the day, Anybody that knows me knows that's the most important thing. And that's how I weigh it out. And so I did my job. And, um, man, I wanted to win a championship at Utah. Uh, you know, won't get that opportunity, but we there may be some things on the horizon uh, at the university possibly. There are some other things that I'm looking at outside of the game. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, most people think that in today's college football, you have to be a certain age or to have a certain amount of energy or, you know, but at the end of the day, man, it's about people. It's about people. And uh, I did the right thing by people. You know, the other thing that I'll add, I know, you know, this came about because of, uh, um, I guess, a tweet my son put out. And one, one thing I want everybody here to understand I've been doing this uh, for 27 years. I've been in this game since I was seven. Uh, so if you do the math, that's a long freaking time. <laughs> that's that's a half a century. So you raise your kids in this environment, and uh, you know they see how hard you work at it. They see what you do. They know what you feel. And um, you know, I I um, I don't say my son is, uh, I don't banish him for what he did. He has a right to speak an opinion. We're in a, in a society right now where things are very separated and, uh, we fail to realize it. We, we just ignore it. And, um, you know, my one son, I had, uh, uh, two go to school here in Utah and one experience being stopped by the police on two, three different occasions and being handcuffed just because he was black. You know, not that he was doing anything wrong, but just a routine stop. And, you know, that, that takes its toll on a young person. And, and we fail to realize it because we don't experience it. Um, you know, he has since removed, because I told him to remove it. He's still my son. Uh, and uh, But I, I want everybody to know I have the utmost respect uh, for the outgoing President Watkins. We had a lot of deep talks. I have the utmost respect for Mark Harlan, uh, for Witt. The University of Utah, period. I, I don't hold grudges. You know, that's not me. Um, you know, I'm going to, if I thought that I was leaving, people always ask. I just closed on another house here uh, January, about 27th, so I had no idea. Um, and this is, um, you know, this is just the way things worked out, and it's not – no one, I'm not going to be bitter. It's not about that. Um, it's more about me uh, knowing that I did the right thing by players. And that's more important to me than winning a football game. And in this day and time in athletics, that's not what's important. 
to to some people, uh, you know, to the fans. It's about winning championships. Well, these kids have lives. And so that's why I stayed at, at Utah. I've had, you know, two different opportunities to leave. I'm a very loyal person. I could have went back east to a school uh, where I grew up. And um, and obviously I just mentioned the, the two opportunities last, last year. But it's, it's not about that for me. So what I want people to understand is don't hold it against a person because of their experiences, you know, and, and I'm, I'm speaking um, in reference to my family because that's my family, you know, and they're going to defend me regardless. And I wouldn't expect anything different because I'm going to defend them. And uh, that's how we do things as a family, and that's why it's called family. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people are emotional, particularly in certain instances when it comes to family. I think, Coach, quite frankly for me, I don't know that I'm in the position to evaluate you as a receiver's coach. I don't really have any expertise on that. But doing a, going back to our time at BYU and then at Utah, if I evaluate you as a man, I give you the highest grade possible because I think that much of you and you've proven that as far as that goes and you've just done with this uh, answer that you've just given. You've, again, exemplified who you are, and that's, that's the most important, as you say, and I agree with that 100%. As far as football, was it simply a lack of production from the receivers, or did you get a specific reason why they needed to make a change? No, and I, I don't think um, I don't think that's that's it. Like I told you, I, I go back to more of the things that uh, took a lot out of me. I mean, uh, which adds up, which in the end will 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 add up. I mean, uh, when I look at the guys that left, uh, in particular, I mean, health played such a huge part. In them, and um, you know, we we can all sit around and debate how much production was there. I mean, and I can go back to having been with players that had great production, whether it's a Darren Carrington or Tim Patrick. I think uh, you know we had guys two years ago catch thirty six, and and you know all that. So you have to operate within the offense, and 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 at the end of the day, you know it's it's still about winning. You know, the game is still about winning. But what we have developed in our society is a me attitude. And the most me position on the field, whether we like it or not, is the receiver. And uh, you see it in the NFL. You see it uh, now in college. I mean, I know of an instance where a high school player who was committed to a top power five school walked into his high school coach's office and said, I need a ball more. I'm transferring. You know, this is, this is what we are developing. And we're doing it because we um, we live in we live in a uh, a world a society in the United States where we reward athleticism and ignore character. And so these kids aren't being rewarded for the men that they are; they're being rewarded because of the athlete that they are. And there's a uh, there's a major issue. Uh, so for me, uh, and again. The most important part for me is the player, uh, the person. And then the player will thrive because of the person that he is. Um, I think we had some guys make some questionable decisions. And uh, sure, that leads up to it because that's called, you know, you're responsible for your players both on and off the field. A lot of people don't understand that. They may say, well, that's not right. Well, that's what you signed up for. And at the University of Utah, it's – 
uh, it is a key component because of the the uh, the world we bring these kids into. You you have to realize, uh, and people, I don't want anybody from Salt Lake City or, or Utah or Utah County or anywhere else to be insulted by this. But this, the state in which we live in is very unique. It is um, obviously heavily influenced by the LDS church. Um, the government interaction with the church is evident, and um, which is fine because it creates a great atmosphere of family and those things. But you're bringing young people in. Um, that's not that's not their lifestyle. That's not how they lived. And then you want them to conform to uh, a very idealistic lifestyle that uh, many of them just can't uphold and uh, are criticized for it because they're just normal people. I mean, the things that I look at in this city, and I, I love Salt Lake City. It's been one of the best places I live. In my opinion, it is a city of extremes. The uh, homelessness, the drug abuse is extreme. And on the other side, uh, the religious aspect of it and the righteousness can be extreme. And uh, so I think there's a middle ground there. I've always believed that. I respect any person, regardless of their race or, or religion. That's important to me. Uh, I worked at BYU. We all know that. And I didn't have a, a problem uh, speaking my point of view on what I thought was wrong or right, but yet adhering to um, the policy. And But I'm a grown, as my other son would say, I'm a grown-ass man. <laughs> you know, I, I, can, I can handle it. But you're bringing in young people who don't really understand the dynamics of it. And then when you intermingle young men with women who've been raised in that culture and not really understanding how that works, um, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And, uh, but, you know, if anybody wants me to bash the universe, and you get an opportunity, that's all you ask for. And uh, if there's another opportunity out there for me in coaching and, and, uh, it happens for me, I'll be fortunate to have that opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want anybody to think the only thing that matters to me at the end of the day, that I do right by my players. Uh, if people want to judge my coaching record and what I've done, look at the statistics. Look at the statistics of the players I've coached. Look at, look at you know, and um, what I did uh, in, in, in Provo. I think that speaks for itself. And what I did coming into University of Utah, I think, I think it speaks for itself everywhere I've been. I stand by my record. You know, that doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that at some point, you may have stayed somewhere too long because that's the business. That's the nature of our business, um, you know. And it just all at, at the end of the day, what all this means is we want to win a championship. And at this point, I think you've gotten us as far as we can go. We need to make a change. That's all it is. Nothing more. Nothing less. And and honestly, with where I was health wise, it, it it wasn't a fight for me. Um, and recovering, uh, you know, mentally and those things. It wasn't wasn't something I wanted to sit there and argue and, and present facts. It was, you know, uh, it's what uh, Coach at that time, that when he made decisions, felt that was right. It's his program, and he has that right. 
and I respect him for that because he also had the right to hire me, and he did that, and that was his his decision at that time. So it's um, man, I, I love the university. I love the state of Utah. Uh, I've worked at the two major universities, and I've had positive experiences at both. This question is uh, is really hard to answer, and and I don't know that you can, but I think. Um, Anyone who's been through this situation really wonders how it's going to impact the team. And when I was in college, uh, one of my really good friends from high school died between, it was a one-car car wreck, and he died in the summer between um, the freshman and sophomore years of school. And we were going to different schools, and that changed the relationship. But what happened with Ty Jordan was just so awful so devastating. Some of the stuff we've seen on social media, you know, clearly the players are taking it really hard, as you would expect they would. And I'm curious because when you talk about the relationship you have with players, um, you know, w- what kind of impact is this going having going forward? How is the coaching staff, which you've gotten to know really well, how have they been dealing with it? How can they deal with it going forward? Because people don't talk about it a lot. But, you know, talking to some Ute fans, even though they never individually met Ty, it had an impact on them, too. And I'm just wondering how you see – you've clearly been talking about that side of the business, the relationship side of the business. I'm just wondering how you see this working going forward because um, it continues to be an enormous story and a tragic story here going forward. Well, here, here's the reality of life. And um, most people – most people won't want to hear it. Um, you know, I was involved in, in Ty's recruitment, certainly from Dallas. I was in his home, um, and it hit me hard. I could only go to the viewing, and I left and went went back to Houston with my family. Um, at that time, uh, I couldn't even attend the services. But this is what I know. And you can either use things in two different ways. or I mean, it's really three. You can either ignore it, you can let it hurt you or bring you down or you can let it motivate you. And I think the hardest thing that people don't realize is um, you will always have brief moments where things affect you. But overall, day day to day, most people, it, it turns into the longer it goes, out of sight, out of mind. And there will be things that come up that remind you of it, that make you want to reflect on it. Um, but you'll you'll push forward. I lost my mother as a freshman in college, and I found a way to use it, uh, or sophomore in college, to use it as motivation um, versus um, letting it hold me back to the point, to the school that I was at. Um, at the end of going into my senior year, I... Um, you know, went to find out how many credits that I have to graduate, and they told me what, and I knew how many credits I had, but not very many of them, unfortunately, went to graduation. I left there. Uh, after that, that season, I went and I finished my degree at Cheney University of Pennsylvania, and um, I'll always recognize that place because, in my opinion, um, the school I was at let me down, and that had a lot to do with my uh relationships and and what I believe relationships would be. So, you know, I I don't think it will affect the team as much as most people think. I think you, you go about your pro, you go about the process, you go about getting things done and and that, 
and that you fully understand is just a part of the business and um, of life in general. And I mean, we live what, what we can appreciate, what we don't get is what our young people go home to when they leave here. We ignore that. We don't understand. And, um, you know, because if you're not from that world, it has really hard to grasp what that world could be, you know. And um, I'm not from the country. I never grew up on a farm. I never woke up at 5 in the morning to go feed the cattle or, or do what, whatever is in a typical day of a young person that grows up and being a rancher or a farmer. So I can't experience. I have no idea what that's like. No idea. But I did grow up in the inner city. I did grow up on the 12th floor of a project. I can tell you what that life is like. But um, don't look down on those lives when you haven't lived it, you haven't experienced it. Learn to appreciate it. Learn more about it so you can help them to adapt and achieve. And that's, I think, what, what we have to do. Well, guy, we know you've got to. Uh, we got to go. You got a plane to catch and all that. Uh, we appreciate your time. We've always appreciated talking to you, whether it was on the practice field, on the phone this summer. Had a great conversation, and really appreciated you coming on. And we appreciate you coming on now. We'll we'll follow wherever you go, and uh, best wishes, and and hope for a lot of success for you down the road. Well, I appreciate that. I will probably uh, we'll see what next year holds. But my intention right now is to spend some time with a. Uh, with a family that hadn't seen me in 27 years. So uh, maybe get get back and, and really reconnect with what's important. And, uh, you know, you go, you go 27 years of raising other people's kids, you know, and so you need to spend some time with your own and uh, all of mine out. But we're on our way. Uh, I'm going to be in Miami, and I'm going to enjoy uh, – um, enjoy things there. I don't want anybody to worry or feel bad for me or feel sorry. No, no. Man, this, this is, uh, if you know me, you know I have a plan. It all work out in the end. And uh, we'll see if that includes football. That may include a, another phase of life. I'm not quite sure yet. But uh, I want uh, both people from both schools to understand that I was never – a hater of either. Uh, I'm a lover of both, and I think they both serve a purpose. And um, I just want to let people know I really appreciate everything that both universities have done for me. And, and um, you know, this last stint with the University of Utah, hopefully it won't be my last in, in Utah. Uh, Tom will tell, and uh, we'll see. But I really appreciate you all having me on, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Guy. Yep. Guy Holiday, former Utah wide receivers coach before that, the BYU receivers coach, and he's got nine schools on the resume over 30 years. And uh, reading between the lines there, PK, it sounds like a, well, I mean, separations are never completely amicable, but a fairly amicable separation. And uh, sounds like the U might be taking care of him into the future a little bit, just trying to read between the lines on the fly here. So. Take a year uh, off from football. He said that to an extent. Goes. Yeah. Yeah. Take a year off from I football. You got and see somebody. Somebody like him, though, is determined not to be bitter. I think it's up to the person who's being canned and yeah. how they react to it. Yeah. And, and let, let me be the first to say, I would not act with the same degree of decorum <laughs> and class as he did and has and is. The road wouldn't be quite as high for either one of us, would it? Be a little, a little lower. Oh, probably. me? <laughs> I would take probably the lowest road possible. <laughs> there you go.
<laughs> All right. Well, we really appreciate Guy coming on because obviously not everyone would in that situation. We know a lot of you wanted to hear from him, and I think there were only like three questions from us. He knew what you wanted to hear, and he just took the ball and ran with it, which is, you know, yards after catch, always That's the fine. important thing for yeah. a receiver. So best wishes to Guy Holiday going forward, absolutely. Big T throw Bailey, Jazz TV analyst on AT&T Sportsnet, is going to join us coming up next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Tim Lacombe. You can do everything perfect against this Jazz team, but they really do have the versatility to flip your script on you and hurt you another way. That's the part of this I've been really impressed with Quinn and his staff is they have a game plan in place. And where Quinn has been unbelievably good is they get into that locker room and they come out in the third quarter and they have seen what this team's doing. Maybe some wrinkles they didn't prepare for. And the Jazz have been so good coming out of the half. It does take a great effort to beat this team. And, you know, that's just to beat them one time. You get into a series. We all know how those series go. It's all momentum. But at the end of the day, the deeper team uh, and more talented team obviously will prevail. So that bodes well for the Jazz. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller, DJ and PK in the morning, brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome back Big T, Thurl Bailey, Jazz TV analyst on AT&T Sportsnet. You see him on TV with Jazz games, uh, on the broadcast on the home games, and doing the pre-half and post with the lemma on the road games. He joins us now. Big T, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Big T, man, you are big time going up to the state capitol, getting honored for all your service and good works in the community. You're the man, Big T. Well, it was nice. It was nice to be recognized. I mean, you know, it, we that's not why we do things, but it's it's always nice to know that people are watching and listening and then we're in a great community as well to be able to to uh to emulate a lot of what's going on in this community already. So, thanks. Yeah, I've always been amazed on how you've always had time for everybody. I've seen it. The only time you didn't have time for somebody was when some <laughs> little dude uh, was in a store in Michigan after the Michigan-BYU football game, I think it is. He tapped you on the shoulder, and you looked around and said, what do you want? Remember that one? Uh, you know, I don't really recollect that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> wow, you got a great memory. Okay. <laughs> Is there any that chance? Was me. Yeah, I was going to say, any chance the little guy was PK? Of course it was. Because that's really the only person you drop. <laughs> what do you want on? <laughs> I think I actually. He scared me. I just kind of well. went away. Security. <laughs> Yeah, I think you were there on a recruiting trip for your son, if I remember correctly. I was, yeah. And I, and I was covering the game. That was kind of funny. I actually heard you on uh, NBA radio uh, a couple of weeks back. I mean, the Jazz are just getting so much attention here as far as what we've got going with them. And obviously, you being one of the broadcasters, people are going to come at you as far as that goes. How do you think the players handling all this stuff? And there's some deal as far as, well, you know, maybe they're not getting the respect. Is that anything that you would be concerned about and should the players be concerned about? 
I don't think you're ever concerned. I mean, you know this. I mean, I think it's it's been that way for this this market or this organization, even in, in you know in winning years in the Malone Stockton era. Um, you know, the respect had to be earned, and I think even in at this position right now, there are a lot of people out there that that aren't really sure if the Jazz are the real deal or not. I mean, they got a small sample size and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, But this is a really, really good team. And it, it's not just about, I mean, we see them a lot, you know, outside of, of, of Jazz Nation. You know, people are, have their other teams that they root for and their favorites. But there is no question that the Jazz have really been tested uh, in, in this first half. And they, they've, they've won different ways, although they do make the three-point shot a big part of what they do. Uh, when the shot's not going well, they, they found other ways to win or they found ways to stay in games uh, and have a chance to, to win. But occasionally, they don't seem to want to defend. And they've got a great record right now. But they are two and four when they give up more than 120 points. So the obvious answer would be quit giving up more than 120 points. Now, you can speak to getting worn down and it's your third game in four days. But uh, PK and I were really pumping them up when they played three and four days and ground out a win in Indiana after a back to back down in, I think, Atlanta and Charlotte. And they didn't have the energy and they found a way to push through it. And then watching them play the Pelicans. They didn't have the energy, but they didn't, they didn't find that sense of urgency the last three minutes, and so they weren't able to push through it. How much do you write off to, hey, it happens, and how much do you write off to, hey, it happens to a lot of teams in the NBA, but if you want to be a champion, it shouldn't be happening to you, and it can't be happening to you. You've got to find a way to push through it, just the way you're going to have to push through tough times in the playoffs. Well, DJ, you know me. I don't, I don't like using that, that excuse, um, and, and I, I'm sure they don't either. Listen, every team has to go through it. Every team gets tired. It's just humanly impossible not to have fatigue uh, when you're traveling, uh, when you're playing a lot of games. Um, sometimes it's a collective fatigue, but other times it's individual fatigue, like impact players that that uh, may be feeling it. The other thing is, is there are other good teams in this league. You know, their record, New Orleans is a good team. Their record doesn't indicate that, but... You know, they're nice. They're going to put together a really good game. And and whatever you try to do defensively, um, you know, it's you're going to have slow starts. You're going to have dips. You have bad third quarters. Uh, I, I think the positive thing, if I had to pull something out from yesterday's game, was the fight. Even, even with the fatigue, there was some fight. You're down 17. You bring it back within one. So you got an opportunity, and that's a lot of times is what you ask for is an opportunity to win. But I get what you're saying. If you want to be one of those next level teams in the finals and and possibility to to win a championship, there's certain things that you cannot allow, and um, it's not going to happen every night. But there's certain teams that on paper you you know you've got to really you've got to have strong starts. You can't have a lull. You can't. You know, you can't allow that team to go on a, you know, a, 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 a significant run without you answering back right away. So, Jazz got caught in that last night. You heard Quinn Snyder talk about things that they didn't do well, they didn't defend, 
uh, that's a collective effort as well. With Mike Conley out, Joe Ingles really flourishes. In fact, they're seven and zero without without Conley, if I remember correctly. And then against the Pelicans, with Conley's obviously back, uh, Joel's not near the same player. Now, obviously, the ability is there. What can be done to get more out of Joe in the role when Conley's playing? Well, I think there's you know you're asking a player to to be in a different role uh, when that player goes, when Joe goes back to the bench, his role has changed. And, and a lot of times the people you're playing with on the court changes, right? Maybe you don't have as many pick and roll opportunities with Rudy um, on the bench as, as when you started, you know, you're trying to find something in that first quarter that works. And maybe that, that's it for net for, you know, for a certain game. But, um, and it's not that Joe can't give more. I think, you know, it, as a guy who came off the bench pretty much most of his career and you're thrown in the lineup, um, you just got to make those adjustments. Joe's been around long enough that, that he can be as aggressive offensively uh, coming off the bench as he does starting. But that, that, I think that's some of that is a lineup thing as well because when you have Joe in there, you have J.C. in there as well, Jordan Clarkson, then your offense is going to be set up a little differently. Um, you know, you may not be the primary ball handler a lot of times or, or the guy with the ball in his hand as, as the shot clock's running down. So you know, I think it's really incumbent upon Joe to, to try to be as forceful, you know, and, and take some risk as well on the offensive end. But, yeah, it's, it's a different place to be. It's a different role that you're asking a guy to do. Um coming out of the shoot based, um, you know, based upon what you need that first quarter to look like. Uh, so, you know, a lot of that's on gel, but some of it is, is based on the different lineups. I think you're smart. And you know why people say that? Thank you. <laughs> I think you're smart too, PK, but I was talking to Thurl in this situation. Oh, okay. oh. But usually I find that people say someone is smart when someone unexpectedly shares an opinion that aligns with their own opinion. And I think, well, you're smart because I'm smart because I figured out the truth. And Well, you figured out the truth too, so you must be smart. But I really think there's a lot of truth to if you're on the floor with Jordan Clarkson and he's doing his thing, Joe's going to be a decoy in the corner. Well, not necessarily a decoy, but Joe's going to be in the corner. But they're never going to leave Joe because he shot the three too well for too many years. And even if players are going to only semi-absorb the scouting report, they know that because they played against him in previous years and seen him do it. So they're not leaving him. So Joe's going to start getting a lot of zeros across the box score because he's standing in the corner. And you don't get an assist over there. You're not going to get a shot over there. And you're probably not getting a rebound over there. And so Joe's production is going to change dramatically, and Clarkson's efficient enough and effective enough. I don't know how much I'd want to mess with that because clearly what he's doing is working. Um, so does it just come down to the Jazz are so deep that there's always going to be someone who isn't going to be as statistically productive as they could be? Or is there some way, you played on a lot of teams for a lot of coaches, is there some way to massage that over time? See, you're smart too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Thurl. Thank you, PK. PK's getting in on this cake. I don't know how, yeah. but he's getting a piece of this. That chocolate cake looks good. I'm getting in on this. 
Well, I think that's that's kind of the beauty of of who the Jazz are, and it also kind of hurts them on on, on certain nights as well because teams are going when they scout the Jazz. I mean, what do you what do you really focus on taking away? You want to take away Rudy's dive to the basket so he can't get lobs. Um, you want to try to take away the pick and roll. Well, you got to guard something. Um, and some nights it works with teams, but the Jazz have so many options in the flow of what they do. Um, just like, you know, I talked about the game yesterday. You know, Bogey hasn't had a 20-point game in a while. Uh, you know, I, I feel like it's time for him to, to kind of step up. And, and sure enough, the opportunity happened early in the game because the other team's thinking, well, you know, Bogey hasn't necessarily shot it great. He's had some good games. So what do you want to take away? You want to take away Rudy's ability to get to the rim. Uh, you know, you want to take away the three-point shot. So, yeah, I mean, I think in general, in general, guys, what the Jazz, the Jazz are a read-and-react team, right? So there's not one or two guys. Who, I, think, I think that's sometimes why Donovan doesn't get a great start in a lot of games as you look at, the scoring side of it, and it's not because teams are taking it away as much as, you know, it, it's it's his ability to see what's open for him and not try to, you know, to to push the envelope until you know he knows that, you know, he's got to pick it up a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we talk about a different. We either talk about a different guy kind of coming through every night, or multiple guys. You know, you see six, seven guys in double figures. Um, you know that when Mike Conley's out, somebody else is going to take up that role, Royce O'Neal, maybe offensively. So, yeah, there's so many dynamics to to what's going on. It's just amazing that Coach Quinn Snyder's head doesn't explode because and that's a lot to sell to a bunch of guys, but it works. I hate to overemphasize any singular game. Uh, now, with that in mind, I'm going to probably do it and ask you about it as far as the Philly game because it's the last game before they have nine days off, and if they lose, they'd go one and three on the trip, blah, blah, blah. How much importance do you put into this singular game, Philadelphia, which is obviously a contender in the East? Uh, I put a lot of significance on it uh, because, you know, we joke, and EJ knows this, about having your bags packed. Um, you know, it's the all-star, the break's coming up. And, you know, Coach Sloan used to talk about that all the time, about you, know, you can't have your backpacks yet. We have, we've got work to do. And you, you're talking about the top two teams in, in each conference. So it's I, I think it's, especially with both teams being relatively healthy with their impact players, Embiid didn't play the last game. And, um so I think it's really, really important for the Jazz to end on on a very, very positive note, a win against a great team that's that's uh, competing as well uh, for championship. And so uh, Jazz have historically, especially this season, been a pretty good bounce-back team. Uh, they've won a lot of games, and this, the, the, the game they lost last night, probably hurt a little, little bit more because, um, you know, they had to put so much work into 
trying to get back into it. But I put a lot of significance on it, PK, because being in that position, you want to prove that you're worthy of, of you know, being in that top spot. So you win this game, I think there's some automatic respect you're going to get uh, from people outside of that that jazz, the jazz world. Maybe maybe Shaq, maybe Shaq will give him more respect. Who knows? Yeah, there you go. No, you and I both know the answer <laughs> to that is no. <laughs> Well, Big T, we got to let you run. I just want to say that uh, I don't know if you're the most patient person I've ever seen because I've seen Ron Boone be incredibly patient when I would have lost my top. But I did see you sign autographs. Uh, Pace and I would just go out to the set and watch games, and you would sign autographs late into the first quarter, once or twice, maybe into the second quarter. And I wasn't here, and neither were PKs, but we've watched enough sports. We can probably kind of fill in the gaps and, and largely guess why you're so popular with people after so many years. But uh, it does take a lot of patience, and that isn't as always as easy as you make it look. So I'm glad somebody more important than PK and I gave you a little tip of the cap there. So good for you. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor coming from you guys. I appreciate it. But uh, hey, you, guys, you guys do a great job, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. and um, it's, it's, it's just always nice to – it's good to be in a place where, you know, your team's winning and getting some more respect, and uh, you're just part of a part of something that's, you know, maybe we haven't seen for a while. So, uh, you know, give me a call tomorrow. I've got some other stuff for you. <laughs> we got All-Star break coming up. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, sure. Don't call me. My bad. All right. Thanks, Thurl. <laughs> See you guys. Big T. Bailey joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, PK, uh, we just had Guy Holiday on Thurl on back-to-back, and I know we both got stuff to react to with Guy. Um, and uh, I got to tell you that listening to Guy, an old uh, Morgan Scally quote, came to mind. And we will get to that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated. I understand jazz fans have been a bit grumpy with you today. A little bit. I had suggested that Tom Thibodeau had a stranglehold on Coach of the Year honors, and I got a series of tweets and memes and pictures featuring Quinn Snyder. So I had an earful there. Of course, and I've said this for years on this show, I think Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. I also thought the jazz were going to be pretty good coming into this season. Not lead the West with a ridiculous record good, but I thought they'd be a top four team, whereas the Knicks, I thought they'd be terrible. And everybody thought they be terrible. Like anything else, your take on awards are a matter of perspective. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Join the Big Show Friday at the Warehouse 2 to 6 p.m. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. Ah, boom! So we had Guy Holiday on earlier in the 8 o'clock hour and that is, is that already up Yak, Yak is not a yes. It is already up, so wherever you get your podcast, you can hear it. Stitcher, Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Apple which is podcast. the vast majority of people out there, it seems Apple, like. okay, there it is. So it's there, and I, my guess is that uh, the other shows will replay it later in the day as well, so keep, keep listening for them, and uh, at least parts of it will pop back up, maybe the whole thing. Uh, so listen to him, PK. He definitely took the high road in his separation with the University of Utah. He didn't just mention Kyle by name. Mentioned the athletic director and the school president by name. 
talked about their conversations and how he appreciated how things were going, and also uh, hinted that uh, he could be out of coaching for a year uh, and could be um, spending time with his family, which he definitely sounded like he was looking forward to that. And it makes me think that this separation, and while I get why people are going to call it a firing and all that, even with inside that, you know, people walk away with different feelings. And I'm just spitballing and guessing on the radio, but it wouldn't shock me if he was uh, taken care of financially going forward, whether he's got a year left on the contract and he's good to go there or whether they're hooking him up. I, I don't know how it got handled exactly, but it feels like to me they're trying to smooth it out because we saw his son on Twitter. And that was, uh, that was not good. And there are certainly ways to spin multiple stories together that look really bad for the year that would hurt them in recruiting. And his son was comparing letting Guy go to keeping Morgan Scally. And that did not look good. Um, but it feels like the uh, from Kyle to Mark Harlan, I don't know how involved a president would get, but it feels like there was an effort here to smooth this out for Guy and for the football program going forward. And Morgan's line always rings in my head. You don't always know what happened at 5.30 in the building because you're not at the building at 5.30. So I'm sure there's stuff happening in this that we don't know, but it feels like there was an effort to make this parting as amicable as possible, recognizing these things can't really be amicable because people usually like and want the jobs they have. Oh, I would have been just torching Utah football program you want me to uh, go ahead and, and create these great receivers and we run the ball and we <laughs> take a freshman kid in here and we make him a star and my guys transfer? Why the hell do you think they're transferring? Because they're not getting the ball and you're blaming me? Now, that would have been my approach, but I'm not <laughs> half the man that Coach Holiday is. I think we can all establish that. But the way he goes and handles himself with such class and grace, I, I would look if I was uh, Governor Cox to try to hire him in some type of uh, – a governmental role as far as uh, helping uh, minorities be welcome in this state. I mean, he touched on that, and he spoke yeah. of, this is a real thing here, and he spoke of how his son and, and uh, uh, Coach Holiday's biracial, uh, part Polynesian and, and part African-American, um, I think he's told me over the years, and um, talk about how his son uh, being handcuffed and pulled over. I mean, these are real things. If, if, if people don't think this exists, well, Guy Holiday's not going to come on the radio and lie. There's just no way. This is a real issue. And he talked about how the LDS Church and its influence and how you bring in players here and they're supposed to conform, and that's not how they were raised. All those things. I mean, it's so much. And he does it in a manner that you don't feel threatened. It's like, oh, he has an axe to grind. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have an axe to grind on anything. He never has because he's high, high quality human being. And so makes you think of how do we get better at all these types of things and all the stuff that's going on in the world. And, and we talked to him a couple years ago when all that stuff was going down in Baltimore. He's from Baltimore. He can speak specifically on that. And he has such wisdom. I would love to see that wisdom put to use. Hopefully it's not put to use behind a desk. He needs to be out there and influencing people. He talked about the kids who he coached. Man, I wish I could have had a son who he coached because that's how much I think of him because he can be such a positive influence and a role model in so many different ways. It's a shame he's not going to be coaching football at the University of Utah anymore. You know, he rides that uh, fine line between telling you how it is without lecturing you. Big and, that, time. and that's a fine line. But he rides it well, and we've had 
at least three conversations now that I can think of, and there may well have been more. Maybe there's a fourth or fifth. But I can certainly think of three conversations at three different times, and he rode that line every time. Told you how it was. Told you his truth, but didn't lecture you, which, as you pointed out multiple times, makes people more willing to open up and listen and actually absorb what's being said instead of it just kind of, you know, bouncing off the Earth's atmosphere and, and continuing on into outer space and having no impact. He's one of these guys, when he speaks, I absolutely want to listen. I've got nothing to say. One of my problems is I suck as a listener, as I've been told. But when he speaks, I listen because I want to hear every word he has to say because he makes me think. Now, I don't know what that makes him as a football coach. I'm not qualified to analyze whether he's an excellent receivers coach or not. I don't know anything about that as far as that goes. So I have to just let Kyle do his thing. But as far as man and influence and perspective and all that, I love listening to Guy Holiday speak. Well, I think to go to the football part of this equation, you know, and why isn't the passing game more productive? And this is where I think, Morgan, you're not in the building at 530. You need to really be sitting in meetings when the rubbers really meet in the road. You know, because you can look at a passing game and you can put it on the head coach because of his philosophy. Run first, protect the defense, as you've heard and as people have heard. But you can put it on the coordinator because schemes matter. And you can put it on a position coach because how much is he delving into the detail? The detail the Jazz always talked about when they talked about organic development, right? That, that every detail, how you release from the line of scrimmage, how you run a route, how you catch the ball – all of that is he developing that position. And, and then you've got everybody on the staff is responsible because are you actually identifying the right talent? Are you passing on the wrong guys? Are you ranking guys incorrectly and not offering the guys that you should? You know, so to know exactly why all these things come into play and what's 50% of the problem and what's 5% of the problem, man, if you're not sitting in the meeting when the rubber meets the road and, and recruits are ranked, then it's, it's hard to know from the outside. All right, DJ and PK, we've got to take a break, as Yach reminds me, because we've got Derek Bodner coming up. He is senior writer for The Athletic in Philadelphia. He covers the Philadelphia 76ers. The Jazz are 1-2 and two on this road trip. They are 3-3 three and three now in their last six, and they're playing the Sixers tomorrow night, their last game before the All-Star break. What are they up against? Probably a different team than they just saw in beat, because Embiid didn't play in that game. He played really well uh, in their win and had uh, some nice stats last night. We'll talk with Derek next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to talk a little jazz basketball. Derek Bodner, senior writer for The Athletic in Philadelphia, is going to join us momentarily. It's a bad loss in New Orleans. How did the jazz bounce back? We had Big T throw Bailey on. He brought up the old Jerry Sloan line, you know, bags packed, ready for some downtime, or ready to go grind out one more game before the All-Star break. And Feel a little differently about yourself and about the team because of the result you grind out. And whatever this game is going to be, PK, I would assume it isn't going to be easy. Uh, the Philly game? No, I, I, it's not going to. Philly's a good team. They have the potential to be a great team. And maybe I don't know enough about them because I don't watch them that much. I don't co- concentrate as much on the East. But they sort of shove Philly and and the nets in, at, in your face all the time. So I have watched them a fair amount of time. I think they have the potential to be a, a, an elite team. So I'm excited for this game. It's sort of like a, a mini big game, if that makes any sense. 
Let's welcome in Derek Bodner, senior writer for the Athletic Philadelphia, covering the Philadelphia 76ers. Derek, good morning. Good morning. Derek, I'm curious uh, how the people in Philly are feeling about the Sixers and how much it parallels what we're seeing here with the Jazz. Best record in the conference, but you got a bigger market that's more glamorous, and they've got a they sign a Hall of Famer who helps recruit All Stars, and now you got a super team, and everybody's drooling over them. Uh, the Jazz definitely feel overlooked. Do the Sixers and their fans feel overlooked by what's going on with the Nets and all the hype they're getting, or no? Well, you know, that, that's interesting. I would say a lot of Sixers fans are probably still a little bit, they're not 100% bought in, I don't think. Um, mm. I think maybe the Sixers fans might be the ones doing the overlooking uh, because this is a team that, uh, you know, during the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid era has not advanced beyond the second round of playoffs. Uh, a lot of pe- fans, I think, feel like once they get in the playoffs, some of their deficiencies will show. There's a little bit of a prove it to me in the playoff sort of vibe with a lot of fans with this team, um, which probably comes with just not having had that kind of success here either in recent or really in a pretty extended period of their history. Uh, So I think there's still a little bit of a wait-and-see approach to this team. I think everybody has sort of recognized the jump that Joel Embiid has taken and how important that is. But I think a lot of people also feel like they might be a year away before they really contend because there's still a little bit of work on the edges of this roster uh, that I think needs to be happened before – you know, people really buy into them as an NBA Finals contender. Out here in the West, everybody focuses on the Lakers, right? And and probably, too, in, in the country because they're just that big. And when I look at the Sixers, I wonder if they're sort of a, a knockoff version of the Lakers, meaning that they've got two big-time players at the top, and then you hope that the rest of the roster can fill in, and you just go back as recently as the Indiana game, and you got Milton and Corkmaz, guys I had to look up after I looked at the box score, combining for like 45, 46 points, whatever it was, against the Pacers. Do you see sort of some semblance in terms of the two big guys like the Lakers have and then hope that you get contributions from the other guys? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's entirely fair. You know, I would sort of throw – Tobias Harris in there as a third player who's maybe a little more reliable um, to make it more of a three. Not a true big three, because I don't think Tobias Harris is that good. But certainly I think there's a sense that the like I said, the pieces around them aren't quite up there yet. Uh, and certainly when you start looking at the bench, I actually think uh, Shake Milton is a pretty good young player. I'm not a you know not a future 20-point-per-game scorer, but I think he's a legitimate rotation player. But once you get behind him on the bench, there just isn't all that much in terms of reliable talent um and i think that is a a, a pretty big concern you know, the obvious difference between the lakers and the sixers is the lakers have proven it uh lebron james the most decorated playoff performer of this era uh have proven it in the postseason whereas the sixers have not uh and i think that's, like I said, that's where a lot of skepticism comes in i think a lot of people look at it like it's tough to build a a playoff style offense around a post-up score even as uniquely talented as joel Embiid is and there's just a lack of perimeter shot creation that I think I think some people need to you know, see whether or not it can work in the playoffs uh, and there are legitimate concerns. So yeah, I think that's sort of like the blueprint, um, but a, a lower rent version of the blueprint for sure. So in the win Monday, uh, Korkmaz is one of the guys who comes in off the bench and goes nuts, and I'm thinking, how come this guy didn't make an impression on me when I was watching the Jazz-Philly game in Utah, and I went back and looked at the box score and saw 0 for 5 in 21 minutes. 
Um, when you see some of these guys, how much of these – and he's still a young guy. He's 23. How invested are the Sixers in some of these parts around the edges that you talk about and it's a case of giving them a year or two to get better? And how much uh, could they be making moves at the deadline and making moves in the offseason and still getting the right guys? Oh, if we know one thing about Daryl Moore is he's going to make moves. Um, <laughs> you know, I, look, I, I think it depends on the player you're talking about. I think they're invested in Tyrese Maxey, uh, the point guard out of Kentucky they took with the 21st pick in the draft last year or a couple months ago. I think they're invested in Shake Milton, uh, a guy who's under a really team-friendly contract for three more years uh, that they have brought up. He was a, a two-way player, at least second-round pick, who has shown a lot. I think they're invested in him. Korkmaz, I think, probably a little less so. You know, he had a good year last year. They drafted him. He came into the league as a shooter, struggled from the perimeter the first two years, and shot the ball really well last year at end of rotation and has taken a huge step back. When his jumper is not falling, he just provides them with pretty much nothing else on the floor. Uh, so he has been tough to, I think, find consistent minutes for. Um, so it, it depends on a lot of these people. Like if the, Their bench is a lot of young players. I think they have a lot of players. You can throw Matisse Bible into that mix as well as a um, you know really unique defensive prospect who can impact the game in a multitude of ways, but is a almost complete zero offensively. So they have sort of like these flawed young players who they're invested in, but who aren't really quite ready to compete at a uh, playoff level. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to be aggressive in making moves. I think Daryl Morey you know, has shown that he will trade draft picks, he will trade young players when he has a team that he thinks is close to competing for a title. He did that time and time again in, in Houston. Uh, he feels like he can replace those young players in draft picks with smart moves down the line. I think he's going to look at it and say this is an MVP caliber season from Joel Embiid. We don't think this roster around him is good enough, and I think he's going to be aggressive to try to take advantage of that. When's Tobias Harris going to be back? Yeah, the, Doc Rivers was talking about, uh, and, and Harris is out with a, a knee contusion. Uh, Rivers was talking earlier in the, or yesterday after the game, uh, which feels like earlier in the day, days overlap now. Uh, but he was talking about he might try to play again uh, Wednesday night in, uh, in, in the game against you guys. I don't know if I would do that, especially with a knee. Like, you've got one more game, and then you've got a you know, seven-day break for the All-Star game. Give Harris off. Let that knee rest. That's what I would do. But it sounds like Doc Rivers is hopeful that he will be back for Wednesday's game, which we'll see. Derek Bodner joining us. He's senior writer for the Athletic of Philadelphia, covering the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, when you look at Doc Rivers and you know how he's changed his club, his fingerprints on it, where, where do you see the impact? I would say mostly not X's and O's, not anything in that sort, just night in, night out consistency. Uh, that was one thing that really plagued this team, the effort level and the focus, especially last year. Uh, previous years was pretty good, but last year was a real struggle in night-to-night consistency. Uh, that is something they have had this year. By and large, you can look through Joel Embiid or you can look through Ben Simmons. They bring it every night. And maybe the box score isn't perfect every night, but effort level and focus is there. And I think that is something that was lacking last year. I think that has been a big reason why they have the best record in the Eastern Conference. And uh, that is what I think has been his, his biggest impact so far. As far as coming out of the East to get to the NBA Finals, do you see anybody besides either the Nets or Sixers? I mean, the Bucks. I think. You know, I think the Bucks still have a lot of talent. I think Giannis, when he's at the top of his game, could still be the best player in the Eastern Conference. Uh, probably is the best player in the Eastern Conference. And I think that team, you know, they've been playing a lot recently without Drew Holiday, who had that extensive time off with the health and safety protocols. 
Uh, but when they are at full strength, and I don't think they have the depth that they had in previous years, but when they're at full strength, I think they're still a, a very tough team. I think they probably have the best net rating in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, I think they're right up there with the Sixers and the Mets for sure. So there is, uh, on this side of the country, there are plenty of Jazz fans who are thinking, hey, hold on to this one seed and let the Lakers and Clippers meet in the second round. No reason to have to draw those guys in back-to-back rounds. That sounds like a humongous task. One of them will be tough enough. Uh, is that how the Sixers are looking at the top spot in the East or no? Yeah, no, I think they certainly are. Uh, and I think there is a, a big benefit to not having to go through two of Milwaukee and Brooklyn to get there. The concern, though, is that in order to do that, you're going to have to play Joel Embiid, especially, I mean, this second half of the season, I think they play uh, you know, something like 36 games in 66 days or something like that. It's a very condensed schedule, and you've got a big man in Embiid who, first of all, has just never played night every game night in and night out. And he's, also, he's also got, you know, he's got an ankle injury. He's got a lower back injury. He's had his share of knee injury throughout the course of his career. I think there is concern that in order to challenge for that one seed, especially with the way Brooklyn's playing, I think they've won, what, 9 out of 10 now, something like that. With the way I think Milwaukee is going to play in the second half, you're going to need Joel Embiid to play 34 out of 36 or all, maybe all 36 in order to have a chance, and that might come at the expense of him being at the top of his game for the playoffs. So I think it's a tough balancing act for the Sixers. You know, I think Joel Embiid wants to come in and play night in and night out, in part because I think he wants the number one seed, but in part because I think he wants to prove that he is a every-game kind of player. Uh, but I do think there is some risk to doing that, so we'll be really interesting to see how they balance that out because it is – a little bit at odds with each other, those two goals. Rudy Gobert's got a lot of run for a defensive player of the year, can won it twice and recognizes one of the better ones, if not the best one. You think Embiid will view this as somewhat of a big game and a slew of games? Oh, he always he always does. Um, he, he, just, he just played the other night, last night, against Miles Turner, uh, and he, he said it right out in his post-game press conference that like that is a defensive player of the year candidate, and I wanted to take it to him. And Joel Embiid has always had success against Miles Turner, and the six or the Pacers spent all night double teaming him, and he he passed the ball out of that, and he, he really controlled the game. But there is no doubt in my mind he will look at at this matchup with Gobert uh, as a chance to prove, um, you know, his status in the league. He takes those big man matchups personally, so I was a little surprised he missed the previous game against these two teams. But yeah, I think uh, I think he will be uh, gunning for Gobert and and really revel in the matchup. As much as I've asked you about seeding and playoff and all that, uh, when you step back and look at the entire league, if the Lakers are healthy, is everybody chasing the defending champs? Yeah, I think I think they're the best team in the league. Um, you know, I, it's certainly the one that when you get to the playoffs and you ask me which one do I have the most confidence in. Uh, I mean, they've just they've accomplished so much, and Le- LeBron's accomplished so much. And quite frankly, that two man tandem between LeBron and Anthony Davis is so perfectly built to play off of each other's strength that I think they make the most sense. Uh, and, you know, I say that as a person covering the team with the best record in the East, talking to you guys with the best record in the NBA. Uh, when the playoffs come around, it's still, to me, a LeBron league. And, yeah, I, I think if they're playing at their best, it's going to be tough for, tough for anyone. Derek, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hopping on with us and uh, giving us a look ahead to the Sixers and the Jazz. Yep, my pleasure. Derek Bodner, senior writer for the Athletic Philadelphia, covering the Philadelphia 76ers. So really, PK, it's fun to make fun of Shaq because he frustrated everybody by winning so many titles. And he's on TV, and he didn't do it very smoothly, but what he's saying is what everybody's saying.
what who measures up to LeBron. I mean, he called out Donovan Mitchell post game. It's it's awkward timing. It was awkward the way he did it. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. It was highly unusual. But I think what Shaq is thinking is like. LeBron's the guy, and the Lakers are the favorite, and how can you, or anyone, take them down? I mean, someone could take them down, and they may not be healthy. And if they're not healthy, then that changes everything. But we've had multiple people on from around the country, and multiple people are saying the Lakers are the favorite. So whatever doubt there is of the Jazz, there's also a lot of doubting of the Clippers and the Nets and the Sixers and whoever else, the Bucks, whoever else you want to throw in there. Yeah, but Shaq didn't do that. He no, just went after, he went after our him. Donovan Mitchell, yep. our guy. Yep. The one who I love. And that ain't right. I mean, it's two things. It's fun to make fun of Shaq, and it's fun to stay at the YMCA. I mean, those are just two givens in mathematical equations. And when I took algebra and geometry, that's the only answer I could ever get correct was the one that was given. DJ PK, when we come back, everything you missed in this show, Guy Holiday, Thurl Bailey, just had Derek Bodner on to talk Sixers. We'll get you all up to speed with the Jazz losing to the Pelicans last night. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Now Zion to the rack. Lay it in good over Niang and Gobert. Yeah, got in front of Gobert and able to beat him to the glass on the layup. Zion yes, taking sir. it right at Derek Favors. Lay in good with a left hand. The misses for Utah turning into points for the Pelicans. Shot fake back to Conley in the corner. Another double pump That's throws good. up an air ball. That's excellent. Rebound Zion. That is excellent. To Zoe. Up the floor, Josh That Hart. is excellent. The two-hand flush. That is excellent, PK. Oh, shut up. That's absolutely <laughs> awful. That bugged me. The Jazz lose to the Pelicans 129-124. After winning 20 out of 21, they're now 3-3 three and three in their last six as they head into Philly and then the All-Star break. Entirely too many points, PK. Points in transition and even in the set offense. Shots inside of five feet right at the rim. Not good. A 40-point third quarter. A 70-point second half for the Pelicans. 70-point halves are just unacceptable. Doesn't matter who you're playing, when you're playing, where you're playing. You can't be giving up 70 points and a half and think you're going to win the game. Uh, unless you score more points than the other guy. Thanks, PK. I mean, that's we wouldn't be talking nearly about as much if Donovan Mitchell had had a typical shooting night. If Joe Ingles hadn't posted a goose egg. I mean, with all that said, and I get your point, and I agree with you, but they still had the ball and Donovan the driving to take it, the lead. Yeah, Donovan driving at the hoop. Not a great angle for that. I think he's a little torn about whether to lay it off the glass or just try to flip it straight in. And Rudy had a tip, too, to try and you know put that thing in. So, yes, the opportunities are there. They still wouldn't need stops afterwards, blah, blah, blah. But down 17, I'm not sure anybody thought they were going to have the ball down oh, one with a chance to take the lead. Not at all. There's something to be said for that. 
they didn't get the job done, so that's ultimately all that matters. Uh, but there's something to be said for the rally. There's something to be said for you didn't play nearly. I, I think I would give them a C plus maybe as far as their performance and what their capability is. And you still had an opportunity. You were within uh, an inch or two of having that shot fall in or the tip in fall in. You don't know that you would have got to stop at the end, but certainly all the pressure would have been on New Orleans. And New Orleans was front running uh, the whole game. And they're hooping and hollering. That's what bugged me. Uh, and they almost gagged. That would have been a colossal gag. That would have been fun to see. That would have been excellent. Excellent. That excellent. Is, that is excellent. <laughs> that is excellent. So it's not a total loss cause here. But overall, that loss did bug me because uh, New Orleans isn't the caliber of team. They're, they're front-running team because they don't have uh, – well, Stephen Adams has had some success on a winning team, and Reddick has been around the league so many t- years. Uh, he, he's played with some decent teams, uh, Clippers and Philly, I think. I'd have to go and look at all the teams he's played with. But the rest of them are a bunch of young guys who don't really have any pedigree of success in the NBA. And so once they got it going, you could see their confidence build. And the Jowls allowed that, to your point. With those transition buckets, it just seems like they came in waves, one after another, mm-hmm. of just a bunch of layups. And, you know, Alonzo Ball can't really, he's not a pure shooter by any stretch, but he certainly has athletic ability. Yep. And if you get him going, uh, he can use that athletic ability to get to the basket. So uh, you saw that on display. I'm not watching a lot of Pelicans games, but I would imagine that was one of the best games he's had in the, what, uh, year plus that he's been with the team. So good on them. And the great thing about the NBA is sit tight because you've got another game coming. That's what sets up tomorrow night because then they don't have another game coming for nine days. Uh, and then maybe you can we can spin that tomorrow, so I'll just hold off. I won't, I won't say what I was going to say because, like – the NBA, we've got another show tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> they just keep coming. <laughs> As for Lonzo Ball, 23 points. That is his second highest scoring total of the year. And I get that Zion's layups because they know what he wants to do, and he got to the spot on the floor he wanted to get to. He got the shot he wanted, and he wants layups and dunks, and he got them. But he had 26 points. That's And I know you, I know you can do better, and I'm sure that Quinn want to hold him to 20, and that would be great. But, man, Lonzo's 23 really hated me. He had a 27-point game against Milwaukee, and they won it. (laughs) Don't let Lonzo Ball have a big game. You're always looking for one more big-time scorer. Most teams are looking for that. You just can't let the Pelicans get that kind of game out of Lonzo Ball. He's not that good a shooter. All right, we've got some new news for those of you arriving late here in the show. New news, PK, not old news. New news, which is the essence of news. The football schedule is out for the Utes. One Thursday, two Fridays, nine Saturday games. Six home, six road. Pac-12 releases the schedule. And the Utes have the early bye week again, October 2nd. They got the bye, and then they'll have, uh, after the Washington State game, eight conference games after that. Yeah, what they'll say on that bye is it comes at the perfect time because it allows you extra time to prepare prepare for USC. They're likely, uh, well, the next two teams, actually, the next two games, uh, SC and ASU, likely to be the, top the stiffest yeah. challengers to winning the division. So you got to like that you have extra time to pair, prepare for the Trojans. That's for sure. Uh, and no reason why they don't go into the conference schedule 3-0 and again. 
I mean, Weber State, uh, BYU, San Diego State. Now, uh, BYU and San Diego State are away, although obviously it doesn't mean much for the road game, BYU-Utah, San Diego State. Uh, it's more they, a neutral I, site. They're gonna be, they, they, would they go to Carson? Is that where yeah, they're going to play? Yeah, they got to go to Carson. They've torn the old stadium down, and they're just actually the uh, yeah. San Diego State, just on their official Twitter account, had pictures of the first foundations going up That's for good. the new stadium. Yeah, so. good for them. Won't be on campus. I don't understand why they can't play at the baseball stadium, but... Uh, they're not going to. They're going all the way up in Carson. So that's not really a road game because San Diego State isn't playing home games for two years, uh, basically. Is it two? Yeah. Uh, and so it'll be it'll be done in uh, 2022. Yep. There, there's Should no, be. Yeah, so. That's the plan. So that's a nice road game, which really isn't a road game. No. <laughs> You're going two hours away, basically. That's an interesting situation. You will never actually be in San Diego. You would assume that they're going to fly into either uh, – Orange County or LAX. I guess you could fly into Long Beach. So uh, there's no reason to fly into San Diego and then bust the two oh, hours. No, not at all. You're not even going to touch the county, let nope. alone the city. Nope. You're going to get nowhere near that. No so point. That would be, I wouldn't expect San Diego State just a funky schedule for them to be uh, that good under those circumstances. So you can see that the Utes, again, for the – well, they, did, they didn't have a non-conference this year. So for the 10th year out of 11 since they've been in the conference – of being 3-0. and I suppose they could lose to BYU, but we'll see about that when we get there. Uh, so uh, there you go on that. It's a nice schedule, and hopefully all 12 games are played right on schedule. That's the number one thing I want. The back-to-backs, the only back-to-back road games are the BYU-San Diego State, which is, you know, one's a bus trip and the other is really a neutral field. And then in November, they're at Stanford on a Friday in Arizona. And you always talk about the second road game can be tough. Um, it's Arizona, so, I mean, it, it is game 10, so the new staff maybe has settled in a little bit, but, man, Arizona looked pretty bad last year. Well, you so. don't expect Utah to beat Arizona yep. you know, for the next couple yep. of years at least. you got to give the new guys some opportunity. The program really, really hit rock bottom. It's hit rock bottom if you want a comparison to the level that Utah basketball hit rock bottom when Larry took over back in uh, – 20 what was it 2011 2012 was that yeah. the first season yeah and it just have some frame of reference of where that program's at i mean fisher might be the incarnate of uh, bill belichick and he has experience on his staff but it's going to take a bit so you would suspect that they would be able to win that game for sure i, I like the way the schedule's set up and i like the sun devil's schedule too man they got a chance to be the best team in utah because they're playing byu utah and southern utah Sweep! State championship! <laughs> Forget the Territorial Cup. You want the Beehive boot. Well, that would be nice, but the Territorial Cup does matter a little bit more, I have to say. Utes wrap up with two home games, Oregon and then Colorado on the day after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's the other Friday game. The Stanford game on the road before Arizona. Both the Fridays are in November. I wish they would play that game the Friday after Thanksgiving every year. Instead of the Pac-12 rotating some games into Friday and some games out of Friday? Let's stick Colorado-Utah there. Try to, try to establish some kind of tradition. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll never be to the level, at least not in our lifetime, I don't think, that it is for BYU. Uh, but try to, try to do something there. Like We know we're going to play these guys Friday afternoon. You know, I'm just trying to think of something to give it some kind of oomph rather than just 
another game. But I guess to a degree it'll always be another game uh, unless both teams are vying and the winner gets the South. Well, that's what it takes. I mean, Utah and BYU, for years they played and there was something at stake. You could win something or you could take something away from the other guy. And one of those games, after another of those games, after another of those games, over the decades, that really built up. But Utah and Colorado aren't playing to take something away from the other guy very often. Never. Well, didn't the Utes have to win one year to... or? Did they have to win both of them? Did they ever? They have had to be coach? Colorado and then have the refs job the Devils up in <laughs> that night. Right, that's what had to happen. But nobody has taken anything away. The one time Colorado had to beat Utah, they did. No one's really taken something away. No, I want something both at stake. Yes, you're going to have that, that be game best. be the last game, which they're intent on doing because everybody else They'll is playing it, their right. rival that week. I still think they ought to throw BYU in there and just stick Colorado, just flip-flop them, uh, and put the BYU game on the Friday because then you'd have the extra day if you went to the conference uh, final. But that's never going to happen. So I think we'd rather talk about BYU playing on Sundays or getting rid of the honor code. I mean, that's just a waste of time. It's not going to happen, so why even bother? Washington and Cal are the two teams that the Utes missed this year. Yeah, whatever on that. It's it's you can't really predict if is the, are those good teams to miss. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't say either way. It, it it just that that's the classic. It is what it is, and just roll with it. All right, there's the 2021 Utah football schedule opening with Weber State on Thursday, September second. So they'll have a couple extra days to get ready for BYU. All right, other stuff we talked about. We talked football with Guy Holiday, now the former University of Utah wide receivers coach. He came on, took the high road, thanked Kyle, said he might take a year off from coaching. So you can speculate about whether the U really took care of him there. And uh, he said he's been coaching 27 straight years without a break at the D1 level. I think he had a couple of jobs at smaller schools before that. He's been coaching for 30 years. So said that they wanted uh, – Said that the you know just that you've taken us as far as you can go and you got to look at something else to win a championship was basically his take on why this happened. Uh, if there's more details than that, he didn't want to go into it and share it. That's what he shared with us. Said he passed up on two opportunities to go to the NFL. Yeah, and a school back east as well. So, where he's from? He's from the Baltimore area, uh, which is obviously a high metropolitan area with Philly to the north and. D.C. to the south, I had some uh, family of extended family that actually had season, that have season tickets to the Eagles and the Ravens to give you an idea of uh, how close those areas are. It's a lot of money into the NFL. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, what happened is, is they met at St. Joe's, which is in Philly, mm-hmm. and she grew up on the Jersey side of Philly and has... South Jersey. He's a longtime Eagles fan. He grew up a little further south and farther south and was a Ravens fan. So they kept them both. Well, there you go. Yeah. A lot of football, but eh, probably sell the games you don't want. Probably not a big deal there. I would think so today, especially with the uh, advent of all the secondary market stuff. Yeah, but that 
that's uh, give you an area of an idea of where a guy was from and he didn't tell us what teams but I certainly wish him the best because he's an upstanding dude and always enjoy listening to him talk and it's tough man uh, when you called me or texted me on Sunday which the first I heard about it um, because of guy's son putting out the tweets Tweet. um, and then I went to work to try to confirm it and within the hour, I got multiple responses back. Yep, he's gone. This is a tough, tough business. And coaches, the coaching circles are pretty small. Yeah. And so you could go to any number of schools or any number. They don't even have to be at Utah to find out uh, if they uh, knew about it and they had found out about it. And it is a tough business. And, and they talk about his health, too. And I think he he must have tested positive, uh, if I cor- listened correctly, and he had some health issues there. He did mention for- multiple positive tests. Yeah. So, and I don't think he's quite 60. I want to say he's probably about 57, 58. Uh, so that's something to be concerned about. It seemed like he was worn down. Yes. Well, I think the last few days have been pretty emotional. I mean, he did tell us he closed on a house in January, and obviously if he had any idea what was about to happen, he wouldn't have done that. Um, But he made it clear he speaks for himself, and his son was clearly angry on Twitter. That's got to be some bad timing, considering when he left BYU and made a transition up to Utah, he had just closed on the first house he bought here. Yeah. That well, I think too. when PK gets a text from somebody in yeah. the world of coaching that says coaching's a tough business, yes, you... that encompasses a hundred <laughs> or a thousand different but things. Just in terms of and the, real estate's one of them. The timing of yeah, because they're buying and selling homes, and it's based on what's happening in that market oh, yeah. at the time. And it's crazy. Sometimes they catch a break, but sometimes they take a big hit. And, yeah. Most of us are in lines of work. We don't have to worry about that. But that's, again, one of the many reasons that's a tough business. Uh, Other college football notes for everyone craving a return to uh, normalcy. Is it normalcy or normalcy? Normalcy? I always went with normalcy myself, but I think it's probably an either-either type thing. Alabama moving ahead with plans to host full-capacity college football games at Bryant-Denny Stadium this coming season. The AD, Greg Byrne, Announced that yesterday, he tweeted out a short statement after news that the school would be returning to in-person instruction without restrictions on classroom capacity in the fall. Alabama had capacity of 20% last fall due to COVID-19, and I got to figure that by the time we get to next fall, they must be looking at how many people in Alabama are going to be vaccinated and where they think we're going to stand. And I suppose they announced plans if you know things change for whatever reason. They've can fall back on the plans of the 20% reduced capacity or whatever. But right now, they're moving ahead. So if you're looking looking for something there, there's there's somebody thinking, hey, the stands could be full. I know the NFL commissioner was a little more pessimistic about that six weeks ago or whenever it was, a month ago maybe, um, sometime around the Super Bowl. But, you know, we'll see. See where it goes with vaccinations, and uh, I'll have a better idea in the summer. Predicting what's going to happen next in our first pandemic has proven to be a difficult gig. And if you're not in your seat the entire 60 minutes of the game in Alabama, you suck as a fan, and we will take away your seats. (laughs) None of this leaving early because we're up by 50 over a team you knew we were going to beat in the first place. (laughs) That's when you know you got it going on, when you could just call out the fans like that. Right. You listen to most coaches' press conference, they either don't mention the fans or they praise them big time. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's Nick. I <laughs> know. <laughs> he can do you whatever know? he wants. But sometimes, sometimes you'll see coaches go after fans, and it's really kind of circle the wagons time, and the coach is up against it, and, you know, it's like, okay, this season is going to be it. A couple more losses, and it's all done. And so then sometimes you'll see them lose their temper. Wasn't there a Cubs manager a long time ago who went off on Cubs fans? Oh, Lee Ilya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about uh, I, I un- knew the first name was Lee. Unemployed, just name. drinking Lee beer. Lee Ilya, and, and it was broadcast throughout the uh, concourses, so the fans were listening to it <laughs> as they were leaving <laughs> the stadium. It's one of the things like they have at the Jazz here, yeah, with the postgame interview. He goes out over yeah, the yeah. PA system. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. you can you can, uh, you can go on and Google it. Google that and find that on YouTube. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just make sure that you have it a little low. There's a bunch of swear words on there. Not safe for work, people. Uh, yeah, and I bet you're just, working from home, so that's he's okay. He's just going after his own fan base about because they played exclusively day games at that point, and how you know they're just a bunch of unemployed. You know what? It's, it, it's a classic rant. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, that's what we've been talking about all morning long. Your feedback's coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated. I understand jazz fans have been a bit grumpy with you today. A little bit. I had suggested that Tom Thibodeau had a stranglehold on Coach of the Year honors, and I got a series of tweets and memes and pictures featuring Quinn Snyder. So I had an earful there. Of course, and I've said this for years on this show, I think Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. I also thought the jazz were going to be pretty good coming into this season. Not lead the West with a ridiculous record good, but I thought they'd be a top four team, whereas the Knicks, I thought they'd be terrible. And everybody thought they be terrible. Like anything else, your take on awards are a matter of perspective. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Alright PK, the feedback man, there's some stuff here you really like and some stuff I don't like. I get lectured and you get praised. What kind of feedback is this? Oh man, let's can, ask Scotty and Hans if we can continue for another <laughs> half hour. Alright, Jill sends this in. Oh, PK, I really dislike Van Gundy. Solidarity! Exclamation point. <laughs> Some reason about that guy that just that just bugs me. I don't know what it is, man. I'm not sure. But I guess it, it, just, it bothered me to see this team that can't compete on a 72-game basis with the Jazz just kind of hooting and hollering and almost laughing at them. And they really weren't. I get it. But it's still, it got under my skin. I, t- I took it too personal. Greg, I love the Valiant comeback. I'm disappointed in the lack of interior defense and the terrible execution of whatever that last possession was supposed to be. And Greg, he put that very well. <laughs> they didn't need to take a three, so you take a contested three that isn't a three. It's actually a two because you're inside the line. That wasn't good. Either take a three, which I think was going to be difficult because the Pelicans were really ready to come. They came out ready to defend the three-point line. So go to the two and foul and extend the game. Man. But they didn't go to the hoop. So. Easy to say right now, but I yeah. can't disagree with any of it. Uh, <laughs> what else we got? Oh, uh, Scorp Daddy on 54. 3-1, that's an okay trip, but a 2-2 two and two trip doesn't cut it. Not the way they were playing, and now it could possibly be 1-3. and three. Yeah. Maybe it's the right time, though. If you're going to have a drop-off before the All-Star break, you get a chance to regroup. If they're a championship-caliber team, and I hope they are, I'm not expecting such an average stretch the rest of the way. 
Okay, yeah, if you regroup, and there's plenty of time to regroup, this won't mean much of anything. I agree with that. It's just that you get a little nervous because were they just playing a little bit over their head? So now if we, what's that, regress to the mean or average? I never understood any of that stuff. Once you get numbers, I'm out the door. And if that's the case, then that means that there's going to be a prolonged slump, if you want to call it that. And none of us want to see that. You know, We want to see them continue to, to fly high. Uh, Patrick, Jerry Sloan, old school here. They need to play tougher defense. If the other team's going to go inside, they need to hit the floor a little more often. You got six fouls, use them! (laughs) Jazz are trying not to send guys to the free throw line these days, so it's changed. Uh, And then this is one I know you're going to like, PK. Uh, Valiant late effort, but the Jazz fall short. You disappointed yet? Sherry Snow, yet... You make it sound like you folks want to be disappointed. Like winning every game is the only acceptable goal. Do better, David. <laughs> feel, feel like I'm back in the third grade. <laughs> you got told. Is that your mother? <laughs> you got too wrong on this 10-question multiplication quiz. Do better. Still 80%. But, uh... Do better. Oh, man. Yeah, that's... Uh... We want him to win, uh, that's for sure. But, uh, you just uh, explained that on the air to somebody yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it was David Aldrich. Right, right. Yeah, when I was in newspaper, who cares who wins and loses? Now that I'm in the broadcast, look at it ratings. Yeah. Hey, more yeah. people listen when they win. I've had a complete and total transformation there. We had we had massive numbers Saturday night for talking sports. Well, the Jazz won. The Cougars won. Everybody The did. Utes beat USC. Weber State football and basketball won. <laughs> of course we had great ratings. People don't turn on the highlights after their team loses, but after they win, it's like, I want to see that again. What did they say after that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I listened to every second of the postgame show when the Devils beat uh, the U of A 70-7. <laughs> yeah. Great ratings. Yeah, I'm glad all the teams won. <laughs> That's the way it works. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna we, the rundown's already done. You know, we're we're showing three minutes of jazz highlights. If if they win by twenty or they lose by five to the Pelicans, you get your three minutes. So, but that just, lady's invested, so yep, that's fine. Absolutely. All right, we're out of time. Scotty and hands are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.